All right, what's going on, everybody? So, it's the weekend. I had people in studio for a change. That was very fun. This episode's guests are Ricky from The Worst, Al from Fuzzy Line, Steve from How Farms, and Bob. So, I think we had a pretty good conversation. It's definitely focused on local and whatnot. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoy. Uh, that's that's pretty much about it. I'm not going to go into anything else. Uh, so, yeah, listen, if you're in the area, support these places. If you're not in the area, uh, support your own local community. I think that's uh, the major message that ended up coming out of this. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So, all right. So, yeah, what just pickled cucumbers? No, uh, like, what do you like? Pickled peppers and I jardinere? Like pickled, I like pickled everything. Like pickled feet? Anything except huh? for pickled cucumbers. I don't know what it is. I think Texture it might have sucks. been McDonald's hamburgers that turned me off. I, I could understand that, but their pickles are so bad. And uh, chopped onions, like I love onions too, but dehydrated onions. Yeah, those are jam. terrible. That's yeah. what I'm saying. How about Maybe the White Castle onions? Fantastic. White Castle is one of my favorite meals. Did you know that they source their onions from the same supplier? I did not. Sounds like somebody just got caught in some bullshit. Did you know that the White Castle egg sandwich that he introduced me to was fucking fantastic? They do it's, have the best breakfast, too. Yeah, breakfast my, my wife just suck. found out. Yeah, I, he like A year or two ago, he showed me, I'm like, shut the fuck up. That's, I used to get them all the time when I worked uh, for one of your favorite spots, Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when I worked at the D.C., that's where I would get the just bacon, egg, and cheese toast sandwich from White Castle because it was the closest thing to homemade you know, just cracked egg, toast, bacon, that's it. So well, you can hack them. You can get the double jalapeno slider, or the double jalapeno cheddar slider. Not cheddar. Double jalapeno cheese slider. <clears throat> and then you can add an egg and bacon to that. No. Anyone else feel it's, it's ironic that it's jalapeno There's cheese that There is absolutely no eats? irony. So if, do you, <laughs> how long do you think the rest of your life, if somebody goes, Ricky... Say jalapeno, and you just automatically go, no jalapeno cheese. Yeah, jalapeno cheese. But it's going to be my last meal. Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The jalapeno cheese sausage, man. Mm-hmm. Jalapeno cheddar brats and snack sticks are a soft subject for me. Why is that? Sore? Yeah. Uh, because a bratwurst is a bratwurst. People ask what flavored brats I have, and it drives me crazy because there's not really such a thing as flavored brats. A bratwurst is a bratwurst. So Wisconsin fucked this whole bratwurst thing up in this country to where now everyone thinks that jalapeno cheddar brats are a thing. It's not. It's a German thing that was bastardized in Wisconsin. So all those cheeseheads. So you're, you're saying that, like, you can't have different varieties of bratwurst. A bratwurst is a bratwurst is a bratwurst if it's got anything else added to it. It's just a different sausage. It's a sausage. Yeah. It's just a flavored sausage. Right. So we carry all kinds of different sausages, but there's only one type of bratwurst. Okay. So uh, speaking of that, uh, that voice is Ricky from uh, The Worst. He's a butcher with lots of experience behind him and, uh, well, butchering and... Just food prep chef, too, as well? No, nah, I was a line cook for a little while. Okay. Never a chef. Uh, here locally in Griffith, Indiana, 
uh, the worst. And then we've got three others with us tonight um, from uh, Fuzzy Line Brewing, which is going to be opening up soon in Highland, Indiana. So if you're listening and you're local, local uh, support the worst and uh, be on the lookout for Fuzzy Line to open up and get going. So uh, from Fuzzy Line, we have... Hello, I'm Al Robertson. And... I'm Steve Howe. I own Howe Farms. Oh, right. All right, so we've got uh, Fuzzy Line, Howe Farms. I forgot that you were bringing him as well. Yeah. So, um, so your farm is where Ricky's getting all the hogs. Um, anything else, or is it just the hogs? Hops, too. I'm getting the hops. Oh, you're the, getting I'm the hops? And, oh, so you got hogs and hops, huh? Bacon and beer is what we do. All right. Got a little bit of a closed circuit right here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, soon to be basil and tomatoes. Okay. For the beer. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So. And. Uh, Bob. Yeah. So Bob is. Uh, Bob's here too. Bob's yeah, here not. too. Bob's here to Bob's here to help the kitchen out at Fuzzy Line. Um, get up and going and serve uh, local, high quality. Um, product from the region about 150 miles we source all of our beef lamb pigs um so we kind of complete the full circle from steve's farm to the worst to fuzzy line to your plate so uh there we go so we've got uh, a little bit of everything in here tonight uh and then you got me um you know, I guess that's normal. So, um, it's not normal for us. Tell us about you. Tell us so, how this got started. Uh, the same excuse that every other podcast gives, you know, like, oh, I like talking to people and I might as well record it and see if anybody listens. So that's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Uh, but no, I, I enjoy cigars and the cigar world definitely brings people together from, every aspect of life so uh definitely get to talk to a lot of different people from different backgrounds different everything uh just from cigars so i mean i think uh, i mean really what we're kind of going for you kind of complete if you want to represent the common man and everybody that's going to you know come and shop at the worst or everything else like that you're kind of the fifth spoke of this whole like you know, farm to, to butcher, to brewery, to kitchen, to guest or anything. So, I mean, yeah. it's kind of, this kind of completes the whole circle of what we're really kind of driving home with what we're trying to do is, is bring the best quality products to you. Yeah. You know, uh, that's, I mean, I, uh, I definitely do my best to try to shop local. Like, uh, I had to pay a little more than I would have for, for the mic stand that I bought today because I bought it from the shop down from the worst uh was it dynamite yeah dynamite billy, was it billy, billy o's billy o's dynamite music um so i mean it's definitely a better quality than what i would have got but i even told him i said yeah i'd just rather give you the money instead of giving it to amazon yeah um, or guitar center yeah but i mean th- this is the first time i've had five people on at the same time you know so uh i had to do a little bit of scrambling like i said i had to borrow my brother's mics uh and but hey, we 
I was able to throw it all together in a couple hours. So we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, brother. Yeah. We really appreciate nice. it. Uh, like, like I said, I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys being here. So And you turned us on to some local cigars too. Can yeah, you tell so, us about that? Uh me and Ricky are smoking the uh tyrannical buck barber pole that was a Ristafari release uh this past year. Uh, just a fantastic stick. I've been I've been holding on to mine since the event. Um just because I don't want to watch them disappear like I normally do. Um, and where but, are they at? Uh, he's he's local here in the region. Uh, yeah. The factory is in Nicaragua, but the the company is based here in Northwest Indiana. Cool. So, uh, like the Golden Leaf in Holbert, Chesterton, like his new location in Chesterton, uh, and Michigan City, like they all carry his stuff. Um, Oh, eleven oh one carries it, but um, yeah, and he's a great dude. Like his 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 annual personal event that he throws is at the Golden Leaf, and that's always just a fantastic time. That's where these cigars came from. Super tasty. Um, and then uh, two others are smoking the La Imperiosa from Crown Heads. Um, that's they're not local here, but that's uh, Nashville local. Uh, just another boutique cigar company uh, that's uh, wonderful. And then uh, one non-smoker, and we're all drinking. Um, see, we got we got gin, scotch, and bourbon going all at the same time. So, um, so yeah, hopefully uh, this doesn't turn into too much of a shit show. But it will. Yeah, we'll make sure. So, um, all right. So as alluded to. Uh, your 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 focus is is local at the butcher shop getting getting everything uh everything you get not only is it local but you use the whole animal there's a lot of stuff in your shop that i've never seen anywhere else sure so uh as far as cuts or like value-added products well like i uh, that's the only time i've ever seen like beef heart pastrami Mm -hmm. uh and you know so i was able to give that a try um I don't know if many places have, like, Braunschweiger, but, I mean, I've never gone looking for anything like that, so I've never seen it, uh, but... There's places that have Braunschweiger. There's not many places that are making their own. Yeah. Um, so I think the easiest way to understand why I have those products is if we start at the first link of this chain, which would be the farm, Steve could give you a bit of a background on how we kind of started working together and why we do things this way. So we started working together a few years ago when he was in California. Uh, our farm's here in Crown Point. Um, and he had you know, he had come across us on social media, and we got together and started talking, came out to the farm and kind of saw that, you know, this is a little different than what farming normally was. Everything's out on pasture and antibiotic-free and rotating through fields and, all this stuff, um, and I, you know, kind of told him that here we have a problem with using the whole animal. You know, people don't, you know, I don't know, people aren't introduced to it as much here. Um, he's he instantly said, "Well, hell, that's what I do." You know, so we that started like three years ago. Yeah, we started talking about three years ago, but um, I'm originally from the area. I did my training in upstate New York. 
initially, and then I took a, a job out in the Bay Area, and I was working at a butcher shop uh, in the Gourmet Ghetto in Berkeley, and um, part of the reason that I had to do my training elsewhere is there there wasn't a place to learn here on how to do whole animal butchery in a small setting. So um, not only that, I wasn't aware of any places in the area that were doing the pasture-raised, antibiotic, hormone-free stuff. So um, when I was in California, um, Steve's sister posted uh, about the farm on on Facebook, and I grew up with Steve's sister, so I was just looking for a place locally for my family to source pork from. And uh, his sister suggested that I reach out to him and uh, just, you know, give him the rundown on who I am and what I've been doing the past few years. And I emailed him. He instantly called me, and we started talking and realized we had a lot of similar values. And we just started talking more and more. He was kind of explaining to me some of the problems he was dealing with in terms of he was raising these great animals, but he was forced to work with, I mean, not even a handful of processors. So he raises this great animal. He gets it back. It It's not cut very well because it's done in an assembly line type facility. And he was forced to sell it frozen because of the laws in Indiana. So he's not even able to highlight this beautiful product that he's creating. And I basically felt like the the background that I had can make more of an impact in this area where I came from than it does out in the Bay Area where there's no shortage of butchers, there's no shortage of farmers, uh, farm stands. Like, it's, it's the best of the best everywhere you go. So um, after that conversation, yeah, I, did, I decided to move back and uh, give it a shot doing the, the butcher shop thing. And what people don't realize is that farmers can't just raise you know, pork chops and bacon. Yeah. There are bones, there's skin, there's hearts, livers, all the things that come along with raising an entire animal. And they pay the same price for that pork tenderloin as they do the bones and the skin at the processor. So if they're not moving all of that, or if they don't have a processor that is using those those parts in um, efficient ways, then the farmer is stuck with the cost of those things. So if you want farms like this to exist, you have to support them entirely and, and take everything off their hands. Otherwise, they're literally sitting on mountains of organs and yeah, bones. And, and essentially just money. Yeah. It's piles of money that you're just sitting on. Yeah. And so that, I a question about that, like you mentioned, you're you're not able to like because of laws you have to sell it frozen? Like how what what's the reasoning behind that or is it just general like FDA fuckery? Health department bullshit? Yeah. No, actually we've been lucky uh because the health department not only on the other sides but like the farm side our inspectors and everything we wanted to make sure we were inspected and went above and beyond also um so transparency was the goal from you know from the birth of that animal to what they ate to the processing and everything we wanted everything to be transparent and that's something we saw no one wanted to do it you know your food's kind of hidden like you don't know what goes into it and so uh we found that the health inspectors were pretty happy to work with us 
and would come in and tell us what we needed to do as long as we didn't sell it fresh because there's no kill point. So for us, it was frozen, there's a kill point then. As long as it's held below whatever degrees, I don't remember offhand now. Yeah, 32. Well, it was like zero or something. Yeah. Or something worse, or like lower. Um, we were, you know, they were happy. You know, they were just happy we had a clean farm. So, now, it, it, is that the same, like, even when you're doing local, like, when when you're selling to, like, the local shop, uh, you still have to have everything frozen? No, or? it's different then, because, so we have to have inspection points along the way. He's an inspected place. Okay. My farm is, and so is the kill facility. So all three are inspected, and there's a there's a traceability there. Okay. So now, do you guys deal more with, like, USDA or the FDA or what? None of the above. So no. um, the shop that I was managing in upstate New York was a USDA-inspected facility, and the advantage to having a USDA-inspected facility is that you can not only cross state lines with your product, but you can also sell it anywhere. So if I wanted to sell it at Whole Foods, I could have my hot dogs on the shelf at Whole Foods. Um, the disadvantage to being a USDA inspected facility is that when you're dealing with federal inspectors, they're on a very strict schedule. So you can only process between the hours of seven and three thirty, um, which limits <clears throat> a lot of things. So my shop is intentionally not USDA inspected. We have a Lake County health inspection, which allows us to process basically 24-7 if we want to. The downside of that being that a lot of the things that I make can't be sold outside the four walls of my shop. So basically anything cooked or cured, I would have to sell strictly out of my shop. Whereas I do have the ability to do wholesale to an extent with raw product. So there are a couple local restaurants. We have wholesale accounts with Provecho and Crown Point. Goblin and Grocer out in Beverly Shores, and then also, uh, you know, the upcoming kitchen at Fuzzy Line. So, uh, Fuzzy Line. Uh, let's get into that a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, from from what I what I know, the, the, the brief lesson I was given was um, you started your own culture for sours, and you... Now and now you're opening a brewery with with that and other stuff. So how did how did that happen? Uh, well, uh, Ricky and I lived with each other for a little while, and I was brewing a lot of beer in his garage in his basement. And I had a, a grain inoculated starter that began at his place, and I really liked you know the flavor and the aroma that came from it. It was kind of going for a while. And can you explain that a little bit, like what? what exactly that is so a uh, grain inoculated starter that's basically taking unfermented beer and tossing in a handful of raw barley uh, on the barley husks there's you know wild yeast bacteria whatever and you pretty much set up the conditions for the bacteria to multiply and kind of outcompete all the bad stuff that could potentially contaminate something so um yeah, it's kind of a crapshoot, you know, when you're making these things, but it's a pretty common method when so, it comes to souring beers, at least on the homebrew level. Some larger places do it uh, in a similar way where they just throw a handful of grain or a bag of grain into some into some wort, let it sit overnight, and it naturally sours, and 
hopefully what you're left with is is clean and palatable but so that's that's for like a, a like a traditional sour beer not because there, there's two ways to do it, right? Uh, you could. Well, you can always buy your own culture from, uh, from a lab, or um, cool ship the beers. Where basically you you take the wort and instead of cooling them through uh, a plate heat exchanger or what have you, you cool it naturally overnight to the open air. And really, what's contained in in the environment in the air um, within the brewery kind of all settles in to that beer, and then off it you know starts fermenting it could take weeks months years to develop the character that you're looking for but yeah that's uh it's a quick method of souring um it's not the most reliable but basically that's what i was doing at ricky's house uh doing a lot of homebrew batches in the beginning uh finally got a culture that was tasting good smelling good and uh, it's about the time that I got hooked up with Mars Community Brewing in Chicago, and we needed to scale up these sour beers to uh, you know a larger production level, and it really wasn't translating with the methods I was using at home. So I'm like, hey, I we should probably take this culture somewhere, and they can isolate whatever's you know causing the souring and and make it a little more reliable. So I took that sour starter to Omega East Laboratories in Chicago and the owner Lance was able to identify the specific bacteria that was uh, contributing the sour character to the beers that I was making at home isolated it and we were using that directly from his lab uh, for several months kind of testing temperatures and time uh, different uh, hopping rates to see you know really what this culture could do and how we could uh, harness it to make the beers that we wanted. Uh, moving forward, uh, Lance was like, hey, you've got something pretty cool in here. Can I release it to the public? And we we're like, yeah, that's fine. Just you know, put our name on it and, and give us some, some free uh, lab analysis sometimes. So uh, fast forward a few years, and now it's extremely popular with home brewers and professional brewers alike. It's one of their one of their hot strains up there. Yeah. So that's what I'm using now. I'm buying, I'm buying my my old strain back from from Omega. <laughs> but he did all the hard work. I mean, basically, I, I brought him a, a a cesspool of bacteria, and he was like, "There's there's something good here. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna get out get it out there for you." So your your focus is going to be on sours, but you're going to have all the regular brew pub type. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I would use the, the term focus lightly. I mean, I'm very good at making sour beer, um, and the sour program is something I'm going to ease into at Fuzzy Line because you know there's a whole uh, there's a whole program that goes into having barrels and rotating and aging and and all that. And I don't want to just funk out the place completely, you know, yeah. as we start opening. So. Um, for our big opening day, I've got seven beers on tap, two of which are sour, and I'll kind of grow from there. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, that's well, who knows? Maybe we could uh, take some sour beer and uh, pickle some cucumbers in, in that instead of vinegar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We absolutely could. And I'm glad that you used the term funk because funk is going to be <laughs> a huge element of everything that we do. It's kind of the underlying tone and, yeah, everything. Yeah. So with 
the with the food side of it, uh, you guys are going to be doing something that just isn't done anywhere else, right? Yeah, we're going to stray away from the normal brew pub style of menu of cheese curds, aggressive cheeseburgers. Um, what else do we we strain away from? Normal pizza, like you're not going to get a pepperoni pie. Um, no poutine, you know, on the menu. And we're not saying that those things done properly aren't good, but like if everybody does it, what's the unique, everybody's ordinary. Yeah. You know, no, they all actually kick ass, but yeah, there's no reason to copy <laughs> anyone else. Right. You know, and I mean, our, our kind of focus here is to really try to, uh, bring something different. I mean, to the region, um, we all grew up here for all, all of that I know. Um, we're all region rats, so I mean, but nothing's ever changed in our, in you know, in our, our time. You know, Ricky and I are at the same age, and nothing in the region has ever changed to where we could highlight um, foods that are from all over the world. You know, and uh, what we're gonna cr- try to bring is just thoughtfulness to every dish, to where it just isn't slopped on fries. You know, gravy, curds, send it. Um, you know, let's bring some dishes that people aren't exposed to regularly in the region, from Spain to uh, Vietnam to North Africa to the Middle East um, to South America. Um, and then while we're doing that, we have this excellent opportunity to use, you know, great local proteins from, you know, a 150-mile radius from where we're at. Um and we could just make it awesome. Like Ricky and I talk about it all the time is that let's just say that the world is built of a thousand cuisines. You know, how many cuisines are really highlighted in Northwest Indiana to where you don't have to go to uh, the city for probably, you know, we say like 50 to a hundred, like we're not even scraping the surface of what flavors can really be like um, from around the world, you know, and, and, and to go along with, what fuzzy lines doing with their beers is you know everything's kind of funky it's going to be a little bit different but you know it should be a thoughtful experience that leaves you walking away with i can't wait to come back because i want to try more of the menu like like we want that feeling of i don't know what just happened but it was awesome yeah you know rather than I have a huge, you know, to go of food and man, they really fill it up. It's not a diner experience either, you know. It's a uh, thoughtful food um, presented humbly that is truly delicious and super local. It really completes that that cycle of what really local is. And you're going to be focusing on the whole animal aspect, not yes. the regular regular cuts and right whatnot so and and as long as it's seasonal you know we'll we'll take that to uh vegetables as as much as we can as well so i mean we'll try to source everything as locally as possible when it's when it's seasonal um but yeah when it comes when it comes to animals you know i'm very lucky in the fact that i'll get to work with some of the if not the greatest pigs on the planet um and responsibly raised and delicious beef and, and and lamb and I mean, the works, you know, we're going to, it's not your normal burger joint um, that we're going to be putting out there. It's going to be really, really thoughtful food that makes sense and really tells a story. We'd also like to emphasize what exists here in this climate. So that is one of the things that California really has, Northern California specifically, 
is that they have such great climate that they have access to such great produce and wine and all these things. Yeah. And when people think of Chicagoland, you know, it's, it's either brutally hot or brutally cold, but there are things that survive in that climate. And there's a lot of things that people don't even consider as food sources that are native species here. So like snails, for example, uh, you know, it's traditionally thought of escargot. It's a French thing. Snails exist here. Duck, frogs, turtles, uh, all these different things that, you know, you can get turtle soup in New Orleans. You can get uh, Peking duck in Chinatown. You can get escargot at a fancy French restaurant. You can, you know. But all these dishes that we're talking about doing, yes, they're globally inspired, but they're also not in any way meant to be high-end. It's it's really peasant food that's been made forever. Um, it's just things that aren't necessarily highlighted in this area. So we like to uh, kind of phrase it in a way of like, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking globally, but sourcing it locally. So, like, as far as it, like, I aren't there, so like duck and... Uh, you know, I know venison is somewhat restricted, whatnot. Um, how does that work out? Because, like, as far as I know, like, animals you can hunt for, you can't necessarily sell, right? Sure, yeah. There, there's a, a distinction between wild game and uh, farm-raised animals. Um, if, if an animal has not been put down in an inspected slaughter facility then you cannot legally sell that animal to the public. There are ways around that to where if we wanted to have a game dinner, you would basically sell tickets um, rather than individual dishes. Um, but there there are also farm-raised versions of these things. So, I mean, you can get venison, farm-raised venison. It's extremely expensive. You can get farm-raised duck, which is not extremely expensive. Um, and we plan on kind of freaking out and doing some funky shit along the way but uh the problem here is is that i do not let go of the humanity side of it so i have to go look at these farms to make sure they're raised a certain way and i am a like the the humane side is such a big deal for me that it's like take certain places out of the running real quick so you're not just your own you're you know you're not just focused on your own farm you're focused on no, anim animal welfare is a huge component to what Yeah. And that's kind of the beauty of this group. Like, we each have our role. Like, you know, we've assembled a weird team of region rats that uh, each has their own skill set. And, 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 you know, there's the old saying of surround yourself with people that have skills that you don't have. And you're only as good as the company you keep. So we try to, you know, use the quality over quantity ideology in everything that we do to where surround ourselves with quality people that are passionate and ethically sound um be it the farmers um you know the staff whatever whatever we're trying to do and yes there is, there is absolutely uh an ethical aspect of this in terms of animal welfare but there's also an environmental there's a nutritional uh, aspect to it as well. And all these things are being taken into consideration in everything we do. So uh, Bob did a good job of uh, highlighting thoughtful. We That's really the main takeaway that we want is that there's a lot of thought that went into it. It, it doesn't take much to do, uh, you know, cheeseburgers and, and 
pizza and tacos when you're sourcing it from, you know, the the big players in the game yeah. that give it to you for next to nothing. But when when you can, even if we were doing pizza and chicken wings and and tacos and burgers, there's something to be said about doing that to where those animals were raised locally, they were raised uh, humanely. And it's not destroying the planet, and it's also not destroying the person that's consuming the meat. No, hundred percent. I mean, that's. I mean, even on my farm, we even source our grain locally because we're trying to keep that economic loop close. Yeah. Just like you said with the mic stands. I mean, it's the same deal. Um. So, like, random, random thought. Uh, with you now on your farm, your farm specifically, is it just? pigs or do you have uh cows and everything else currently we are down to just pigs okay so just pigs now is there any uh like here commercials for shit like butcher box and whatnot uh yeah let's talk about butcher box heritage bread pork like is that just a bullshit marketing scheme it means that there's a heritage breed that they that but that does not it doesn't mean anything's humane it does not talk about the animal welfare side or what that animal consumed throughout its life. Yeah. And if you're shipping shit across the country, Where's frozen. Where's your carbon footprint on that? Yeah, what's Come the carbon on. footprint yeah. on that? And then how is that local in any way? Oh, yeah. No, that's, I, uh, I, I'm I, not a supporter. Like, I'm not a subscriber or anything. I just, you know, I listening to podcasts, you hear a lot of ads. For I saw your recycle like, bin on the way in here, yeah. man. I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um yeah, like I, I no heritage ra- breeds. Random, randomly, I just, I just never knew yeah. if that was just marketing bullshit. No, or there if are I, specific if there was actually... breeds. Like I can't, I can't have a pink pig in my environment. My animals are outside on pasture year round. They are getting vitamin D every day of the year. Well, explain what a pink pig is to someone that's not a farmer. Your confinement breeds. Your um, when you go to the grocery store and you see, you know, three ninety nine pork. There's a reason it's three ninety nine. Yeah, you know they can put. In an acre barn, they can put thousands of pigs. Specifically in Amish country as well. We're not getting in that <laughs> I, I, I have 10 animals an acre, yeah. and they rotate. So I'm guessing what this is getting to is your pigs aren't pink, but they are, um, are they hairy? Some of them. They have a percentage of the mangalitsa in them, which is the hairy pig. Okay, because that's, I mean, something else that I've heard, you know, letting a pig go in the wild, uh, it basically looks wild. Within a couple of months, instead and, and of the, ours the aren't standard. Even, I mean, literally, you can go in and they roll over, you scratch their bellies. Yeah. They're like the, they, they're puppies. Yeah. At this point, you know, but that's part of it too. You need. I'm in there daily, you know, checking for everything. You want to make sure they're healthy and happy, and we give them one bad day. You know, stress is a major component when you're talking about meat quality. Yeah. And you know, we want to make sure life is good for them. They eat before my kids eat. Yeah. That's a rule in my house. I can't believe you just compared your pigs to puppies on a podcast Why? right now. Why? I like my pigs better than my puppy. Pigs are delicious. We don't eat puppies. Just saying. I love my pigs. Well, it depends on where you're at in the world. I mean, we're talking about world cuisine. That's right. Absolutely. You're not wrong about that at That's, all. No, I mean, is it, her- is it heritage puppies? <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting question. I'm in. I don't know. My ex-wife, she's <laughs> they've eaten dog over there in Nigeria. I actually... Just came across a video on YouTube where they were, people were buying dog in a market and slaughtering it there for you, and they consider the meat medicinal. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it all depends on 
where you're at. I like so. how this conversation got super fuzzy. Yeah, man. If we can find <laughs> some right. humanely raised, uh, pasture raised dog, I think the whiskey's starting to talk. <clears throat> We're gonna have some dog chops on the menu. Uh, speaking of that, I, I don't know how you feel about the the Hendrix Lunar. Uh, if you haven't had it, I've, or if you have, there's a bottle of Midsummer's back there as well. If you want to give that a shot, so, I absolutely will. So, uh, it's it's a bit of a mess up there. So just. No, that's maybe, okay. maybe grab it before you've had your bit too of a many. mess is uh, <laughs> making me extremely happy. This is a wonderful experience. Ah, These chairs are comfy. At least I, I can sleep. Comfy in. chair, it's, nice I, cigar. Did I? I actually meant to move this chair over there so that I would get stuck with the office chair. Uh, it's but really nice. I, at least you like it. So, <laughs> by the way, you you all obviously can't see this setup that Brian has here, but it is magnificent. It yeah. is the most <laughs> relaxing environment to have a conversation. I think as long as Al is sitting and not working 22 out of 24 hours, then he's happy. So you yeah. give him a chair, and that's good enough. That works. This is very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for this. So as as not a normal cigar smoker, what do you think of the cigar? Um, I don't like it. No? I just I don't think I like cigars. No? It hurts. That's Well, you're not inhaling it, are you? I tried. Yeah, don't, don't inhale. Not, well, once we started talking, I... Was like I can't try to inhale this. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to throw up. Yeah. <laughs> and no, uh, you know, definitely no offense taken if you decide to put it down. Like that's no, it's fine. This is. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm holding it like an asshole. <laughs> it's heavy. <laughs> what about you? You said that um, like you you've had cigars in the past, right? Yeah, but I, just, I, I do not consider myself a connoisseur by no, any means, neither but do I, I do appreciate no. a good cigar, yes. So your thoughts on the <laughs> tyrannical buck? Yeah, it's super tasty. goes very well with the Eagle Rare that you offered me. And as the uh, as the non-smoker? As, uh, I mean, the smells in here are fine. Like yeah. I, I, I dig it, especially drinking you know Eagle Rare, um, one of my favorite bourbons. I know you got Angel's Envy up there. I recommend the rye. This isn't the rye, but it's still very, very delicious. The rye does for a rye. If you want to cough up the change, anywhere from eighty to one hundred ten bucks, I've seen in the region. Is the rye the the frosted bottle? I I just seen a frost that they have a frosted no. bottle, but I can't. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm not sure what kind of like, but the which r- one it is, unless that maybe a when, single when barrel people, barrel or something. When some people think of a rye, they think of really harsh. Um, taste. I think the Angel's Envy rye is is super smooth. With uh, it's aged in rum barrels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's almost, it's got like uh, almost a s'more taste to it. Yeah, a little bit, but it really falls off the back, like the back of the palate, really nice and smooth. It's it's uh, it's definitely the rye I've been sipping on the last month. So uh, as far as whiskeys go and whatnot, like do you? Do you have a pretty broad experience there, or? Yeah, I mean, relatively, you know, I mean, like I said, like Rick said, I'm not a connoisseur of either of them, but I partake in uh, a lot of different bourbons, um, and just, you know, casually, you know, but I mean, with, you know, I've been a chef for 20 years, so I mean, you run into uh, different flavor profiles that you really like, or uh, that you run into that you enjoy, Um and in the last couple of years, it's been all sorts of different rise for me, at least. Uh, do do you, uh, pay attention to like do do you 
like whiskey reviews are do you find those interesting or do you just like to i do if it comes up on like a feed or something that i'm that i'm watching but i mean i don't actively seek them i have so much food literature coming into my house at all times that it kind of consumes everything yeah. there's only so many hours in the day well i i can't say since i'm since i'm wearing the shirt uh you know sparks unlimited whiskey reviews uh he does them on youtube but just like 10 minute videos and he does them just about every day he's done quite quite a few nice. what a gig uh, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. uh he he's he's Almost one third of the cool bearded idiots so I, th- I think i've mentioned them to you uh but they do they generally start off with a with a whiskey review and then just go into general bullshit uh, we are all the also general bearded bullshit idiots. is kind of where i think we can thrive here <clears throat> yeah i do have a cigar question uh one of my good friends who's also a partner in the brewery uh, used to do uh, a lot of beer and food pairings, and he had partnered up with someone briefly that was uh, trying to incorporate cigar pairings with the food also. Have yeah. you ever come across that? Because that, uh, that seems wild to me. Personally, I don't I don't really uh, do that so much. Like, maybe, like, I'll, I'll pair it more with a drink than food because... Generally, I'm not going to be eating while smoking, but I mean, as an as an after meal cigar, like sometimes it'd be like, oh, you know, I had this. You, you know, what's really going to go good right now, you know, this cigar. But I don't, I don't actively like. I mean, how many levels of pairing could you possibly do with cigars? I mean, if it's a how many levels five, levels of pairing can you do with pairing? Yeah. Well, if it's a five course menu, let's say I've just never actively participated in the pairing of, of cigars with, with food for how about, sure. How about cooking with the tobacco? Cooking no. with tobacco? You'd probably make somebody sick. Well, I did see... Uh, That's where like, you're going to get into uh, Food and Drug Administration yeah. issues. I mean, I know well, it's Sean, a wormer for animals. Well, Sean right. Brock is it really? doing a, a cookie with uh, tobacco tea that he took out of uh, uh, a cigar. That just... That seems dangerous. I see ice cream, too. Because, I mean, that's, I mean, so much, uh, so much, like, concentrated nicotine will definitely kill you. Like, if it's, if it's concentrated enough, it just takes a few, like, drops. Um, but, I mean, in a, in a tea with just, like, one leaf, I imagine you're not going to get into that territory, but, um. I think there's a very minute level of the culinary world that's using, utilizing tobacco in any way. I wouldn't put it past Sean Brock. Um, I've ate at his restaurant, um, and he does some amazing things, but with especially southern ingredients. But uh, we did not have any tobacco flavored anything. I don't think that night. Man, I can't remember who it was, but somebody. I think it was a pod, a podcast. I I don't know, but and I also I I don't know if it was a joke or what. But they somebody talked about having like wanting to do like a tobacco salad. Like I, I think they were in the Dominican or Nicaragua or something touring a factory and I can't remember if they if they actually went through with it or not, but uh I could only imagine something like that making you just extremely ill. It like, really hurts, mommy. Please don't let me Yeah, yeah I mean that's a, a a strong enough cigar is gonna turn you green. Well, yeah. I mean, these thoughts have crossed my mind being a smoker where you know what if i made bacon with uh some cigars that i just took out of the wrapper and threw that into the smoker but then the immediate next thought is do i really want to deal with the bullshit that comes along with that 
So, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do with any ingredient. Anything that grows, you can use. But See, I thought that was dude, a good fucking idea. I was like, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, but, I mean, due to laws, we're, we're limited in, the, in this country. Whereas <clears throat> our neighbors up north in Canada are not nearly as limited with what they can use on their menus. Well, that So that's a problem that we have in this country. Like, they're also a lot nicer. Tobacco in general nice. is Sorry. getting severely fucked by the FDA as it is. They have been for a couple weed? of years now. That's uh, weed is weed is more acceptable than tobacco in the FDA's eyes. But it hasn't been for a long time. Well, no, I and that's I I don't partake, but I one hundred percent wish it was fucking legal. Yeah, uh, I, I don't either. But what I'm saying is the the cultivation of hemp. As, as a resource, should not have ever been outlawed. My last name, interesting tidbit, is Hanft, H-A-N-F-T. It is actually German for hemp farmer. No shit. Yeah. All right. But that's from from plastic to paper to wood to yeah. rope to we should use clothes what the earth to everything. Yeah. Uh, and a good time, you know. Um but well, I'm not un- saying I've never parts of. Un- un- unfortunately, uh, I just don't handle it well. Like I, I mean, I used busy. to smoke a lot. I'm just. I wish I had time to get high. Is there <laughs> anything the Earth doesn't give us? I mean, if we start making asteroid beers. Then... You said asteroid beers. Yeah, asteroid beers. Well, you said we should use what the Earth gives us. Oh. If the universe gives us an asteroid, we'll make a beer with it. I'd try it. Meteorite or anything happened to fall on your lo- your your lawn and you threw it in the. But is the Earth really giving us the asteroid? Yeah, that's or not the Earth. That's space that's giving the, us the asteroid. It's the universe gives it to us, right? So now can we get into like quantum physics and all that? You want to talk about uh, what was that book you gave me? Penthouse. Uh, <laughs> about God like, is dead and we killed him. No, the the book about uh, it was like a combination of religion and uh, quantum physics. Oh, the self-aware universe. The self-aware universe. Yeah, it, for any of the listeners out there, if you really want to freak out on some crazy funky shit, check out the self-aware universe. So that's religion and physics combined. I think that's uh, DMT. Oh, we are all on DMT right now too. That's. Like I said, it, if if my wife yeah. ever ever Hashtag gives me Joe permission, yeah. <laughs> if my if my wife ever gives me permission, I'm definitely grabbing the first batch I could find. Frogs are local, man. Frogs? Frogs are local. That's where DM, DMT comes from. Licking frogs. The the ho- the famer the those famous frogs Homer aren't Simpson. local. Those frogs are probably not local. Yeah, but it's the famous. And it's, not, uh, it's not frogs Homer either. Simpson. Other things too. Isn't it the toads, not the frogs? Yeah, all right, toads, frogs. Now we're getting into technicalities, yeah. but yeah. it's the it's the Is famous it? Homer Simpson. Oh yeah, are you looking, Yeah, are you looking toads? I'm not not looking toads. <laughs> I found my spirit animal. Oh no, the spirit animal. Can we was talk the spirit animals? The spirit animal was the was the pepper episode wasn't it uh i am also not a simpsons connoisseur but that was such a good line i it's ingrained in my psyche forever all right can we talk spirit spirit animals animals. bob you start i just want to know how many questions i'm going to have to field in the restaurant when i put frog legs on the menu if there's dmt in it let's talk about (laughs) hopefully we can do like a dmt glaze on them 
But that would also probably have to be a ticketed event. Well, that and a DMT glaze, like you really can't. It's it's not going to affect you like that, is it? I don't know. I thought if I thought if you ingested it, unless it was done. Well, what if we just like frog legs with a line of DMT? Well, I mean that's a different story. So we're definitely going to be really different if we do that. Top that, Joe Rogan. I think we. I think we won. (laughs) What's your spirit animal, Bob? And why are we serving frog legs? It took you longer than we thought to say frog legs. By the way, we were taking bets over here how long before you were going to start talking about that shit. Nobody wants frog legs but me. Sell more fucking pork. I mean, frog legs are local. You know, I love them. I don't think they're on enough menus, and I think we could present them in a different way that uh, people would be super interested in. Spirit animal? I have no idea. You could be any animal then. What would it be? What animal Uh, represents you? When you are reincarnated, what is it going to be? If you live your best life. And you don't just walk out on us. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think think that's going to happen. Man, I don't know. Uh, Angels, animals? I am not not an angel. Uh, Spoiler spoiler alert, it's not an angel. He's the exercise man. You'd be one of those crazy angels with like six sets of wings and like five heads. Here, Ricky, help him out. What would you be? Uh, My spirit animal is the alpaca, hands down. Why? Because it's got crazy-ass hair. They're they're lovable in a weird way. And I've always wanted to butcher one. One of the best stories that I've ever heard is uh, from a Peruvian butcher. His name is uh, Renzo Garibaldi. And I had the pleasure of meeting him while I was working in New York. And the guy that I learned from, his name is Josh Applestone. And... His first thing that he always puts everyone on is boning out a lamb neck because it teaches you how to use just the tip of your knife. There's a lot of ins and outs on a lamb neck, and if you don't use just the tip of your knife, you're not going to get the greatest yield off a lamb's neck. So Renzo came to train with Josh. They went down to something that was going on in the city, and there were live alpacas there, and Renzo went up to one of the farmers that was showcasing these alpacas and asked how much for the alpaca. And alpacas are eaten in in Peru. Um, and this guy's like, you know, what do you mean? And he's like, how much for the alpaca? And he's like, what are you going to do with this? And he's like, I'm going to kill it and I'm going to eat it. <laughs> and he's like, no, absolutely not. But what Renzo had in mind was, you know, a lamb neck that's like six inches long. Whereas an alpaca's neck, yeah, you got you got a few feet there. Yeah. So he's thinking, you know, I see your lamb neck. So I'm I, gonna bone out an alpaca neck and show you what I can do, which I appreciate. To where like, let's let's up the game here. We did just talk alpaca sausage yesterday. Yeah. If for if there are any alpaca farmers listening, and you don't have a problem with us uh, taking your animal to slaughter and cutting it up and putting it on a menu. Please reach out. So now, is there is there a difference, be, or, or what is the difference between an alpaca and a llama? I don't know. Is, is there are they the same animal different animals? I don't know, huh? man. I've They're only seen animals. YouTube videos with like um, alpacas, like doing all kinds of goofy shit. Because like, I've always had a fascination with llamas. So, and I, but, I don't know for whatever reason I identify with alpacas. That's my spirit animal. That's yeah. I've always I've always uh, 
had a weird fascination with llamas and never knew if there was a difference or what the difference is between an alpaca and a llama. So I might have to do some research. What's the difference between a chickpea and a garbanzo bean? I think it's more like the difference between a donkey and a horse. Like, they're close. Can we talk about horses for a second? I want to eat the shit out of a horse. That's the That's beauty of Canada. I knew so where you were Canada, going. In Canada, you can eat horse. No. And I've eaten horse numerous times. And it is delicious. And for whatever reason in this country, they think that that is, like, ethically wrong. I thought it what's, went legal, what's the, though. What's the flavor profile on a horse? It's just like lean beef. All the, I know of horse is from uh, Old Brother Where Art Thou. And that horse was beginning to turn. Can you tell your cool. horse story? I can tell my horse story, but I would <laughs> also like horse? to say that the Coen brothers are my favorite horse. filmmakers yeah. of all time. Horse. Uh, my horse story, which which one? The one uh, when <clears throat> your parents me. flew out to... Uh, so, when my, <laughs> when my parents made their initial visit to come see where I was working and learn what I was doing, I was actually in Montreal earlier that day, and I'm probably going to get myself in trouble saying this but uh we visited oh, yeah, the, the jean talon market in montreal and i picked up uh, a horse ribeye tomahawk and a horse fillet and then smuggled it across the border illegally and brought it back to uh the house i was living in in stone ridge new york and my parents got a rental car they How'd showed you smuggle up it? don't don't how and a condom yeah <laughs> You know how I smuggled it. The tomahawk was not easy. Uh, so I bring this horse meat back. My parents show up, and I intentionally took a long time to make dinner. And my mom was extremely hungry and kept politely letting me know that she hadn't eaten since she left Chicago. And I was just waiting for her to say the magic words. <clears throat> And uh, finally, when I asked, how hungry are you? She said, I'm hungry enough to eat a horse. So, Now, is this something that she would regularly say? At that point. Is this something that she would regularly say and you, no. were, you were just no, waiting no, no, no. for this hoping, to happen? I was hoping that that phrase would be uttered at some point. I, yeah, that's, it, it would have been and funny. And magically, were... it happened to where she said, I'm hungry enough I could eat a horse. So dinner was ready immediately, and I served it up, and, you know, once everyone dug in, she was like, you're right, the beef does taste different, you know, and she thought it was just a matter of, like, you know, being pasture-raised and all that, and I was like, oh, well, that's not beef, that's horse that you're eating, and I smuggled it from Canada earlier today, and she was, like, ready to puke. And my dad was just like, yeah, you know, this is some good-ass horse. Thank you. <laughs> That's, uh, my, my wife, one, one year for Easter, we went to a friend's house, and they had rabbit stew. And, you know, I was all right, cool. You know, it was the uh, first time I had rabbit stew. I've had rabbit before. That's another native species. Yeah. But, uh, you know, my wife had a bowl, and she enjoyed it. I was like, yeah, what would you think of the rabbit stew? She's like, oh, it was good. I said, I'm kind of surprised. She said, why? I said, because you're eating rabbit. She's like, wait, what? I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, I thought that was, I thought it was just like chicken or something. That was a cute name because it was Easter. It's like, no. She's like, oh, I didn't like it so much. It's like, it was served that Easter. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's so thoughtful. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) That's so thoughtful. Actually, here's another thing. If there are any, if there's anyone listening that raises or knows anyone that raises rabbits, please reach out. Because 
Whenever a farmer comes into the shop and asks what they can raise, I always tell them rabbit. Because the phrase fucking like rabbits does not come from nowhere. Yeah. <clears throat> They're quiet. It's like the easiest thing you could raise. But we cannot find anybody that raises rabbits. So we no. have people that raise them. There's not a kill. Fa- we can't find a kill facility that's inspected I was gonna, within 150 miles. I was going to say there's plenty of places that breed rabbits for reptiles, and, and but we can't get the inspection. Yeah, they don't do them. And the places that used to do them, basically in COVID, have stopped because they're booking out all the other animals because people are kind of raising their own a little more. Yeah. So that's. So, so start a rabbit slaughterhouse, please. We, we can't get rabbits, but when I was I was working in the city uh, years back, I did get Indiana shrimp. There used and to be a shrimp farm in Demont. Yeah, that, that was a real thing. That's and interesting. It, huh. it didn't suck, but man, were they expensive! I don't they... believe it exists anymore. Yeah, I don't. I, I, like I said, it was years ago, but we definitely highlighted on the menu Indiana. Shrimp. Was there a, was there a flavor difference or? Yeah, a little, I mean, uh, I mean that's about as artificial as you less, can get. They were less <laughs> sweet. It's like bringing walruses here. Yeah, well, it's interesting how they did it. Actually, it was in pools, right? It yeah. was pools, and it is entirely sustainable. It was a great idea. Yeah, but it's kind of like the. That, that just seems that just seems pretty expensive because I mean you that's. A saltwater upkeep that you have to think of on a very I mean, large was, scale. Yeah, but I mean, if we're doing like saltwater upkeep, yeah, wow, you know, for shrimp with the heads on. So I mean, I mean, unless we we I mean, we had to serve them with heads on, and, or we wouldn't make any money. Yeah. And before I forget, we I would like to name maybe one of the beers down the road, good ass horse, because that was the best thing that I've heard all day. He's got a better one. <laughs> Your He's dad? A, no, no, no. A good Al horse is a better ass? one. That was actually. We're gonna have to like. I don't know. We're gonna have to fight the courts and go into a whole legal battle with uh, Mars Community Brewing. But smoke wheat every day was a beer that they put on once or twice. That was actually. Uh, it was the brainchild of a drunken night at the house we lived in together, and it. You know, we were listening to some some Dr. Dre, and when he said. It's actually Nate Dog. Hey, hey, smoke weed every day. It gave birth to the idea of can we do a smoked wheat beer? And he produced the smoked wheat beer and we named it Smoke Wheat Every Day. Yeah. So we're going to have to steal that from Mars. <clears throat> so uh, before brewing, like what, what kind of background do you have? Uh, Ooh, what, was it just strictly, strictly hobby or like? You know, did you early on just start brewing beer? Uh, well, I mean, it, it began as hobby, uh, actually, because I recognized one day that I needed a hobby. Um, yeah, <laughs> we, were, we were going to Three Floyds a lot. I was like 22 years old and um, enjoyed the beer, really got into the craft beer scene because being, you know, uh, under 21 and always going to my with my friends to the liquor store and they would go in and get the beer, it was like, what do they got in there? There's got to be something really interesting other yeah. than, uh, you know, high life and blue moon. And finally, I was able to get into a liquor store. I was like, oh, my gosh, there's so much. So I was just tasting <laughs> through everything and going to Floyd's. And I was like, I can make this. I need something else to do. So started making it at home at my parents' house for a while and uh, really wanted to break into the industry. 
I mean, um, yeah, I, I worked at Crown Brewing very briefly uh, as a assistant brewer, just like a couple months, kind of moonlighted there while I was working at my other job in manufacturing, and uh, I was just trying to beg my way into brewing professionally somehow, but um, it, I mean, there's there was really no money in it. You know, got hooked up with Mars Community Brewing through Ricky. Ricky introduced me to the guy that uh, Ed Marshevsky that started Mars Community Brewing, and um, yeah, that's one guy that's very true to his word. So I met Ed. I brought him some beer, and he was like, "Hey, this shit's great. You should come back pour some beer at a festival." So me and Ricky did. We went up there. Um, it was very well received, and. Ed was like, hey, I'm going to start a brewery in a year. I want you to brew. All right. And it was like a year to the day. I never thought I'd hear from this guy again. And he called me out of the blue and was like, hey, I've got a brewery. Like, come up to Chicago. Went there. Um, he had converted a, one of his old apartment buildings into a brewery and handed the keys over to myself and a few other home brewers and pretty much said, hey, make it work. So Wow. He, that's, that's one thing I've really got to give credit to Ed for. And a lot of people give Ed credit for is really recognizing key players in a lot of his businesses where it's like, Hey, you know how to do this, you know, make it work. And Ed takes care of, you know, what he knows how to do. So we were able to, uh, volunteer and, uh, laugh and cry together and make that, that business turn into something successful which it did and at that point it was either i could go on to mars community brewing as a brewer or try to start my own thing in a similar fashion that ed did you know just kind of start something in my own community that was lacking you know and highland is definitely lacking in a lot of things yeah especially compared to griffith so, yeah um here we are um so like as far as brewing goes like what happens if you get a bad batch, like something that, something that's uh, drinkable, but not something that you really want your name on, down the drain, down the drain, down the drain. That's to the drunk buddies. Because there, there's been a couple of beers that I've had uh, that it's like, yeah, this, you know, I understand. Like it costs money to brew and whatnot. You gotta get those, get those funds back. Uh, but at the same same time, it's like, man, maybe maybe they should have just. Uh, you know, not put a name on these and just strictly friends and family. And yeah, and know. it's hard to do, you know, especially in a small manufacturing environment, which essentially a brewery is, um, it, it gets really hard when you've put a lot of resources into something that takes a, a long time to produce. And then it's not quite there. It gets easy to kind of convince yourself that it's okay. Or, you know, some people are going to like this and we're going to put it out anyway. But I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, you have to put out a product that you're you're proud of, and you know that people are going to enjoy. It's something that you do want your name on. Yeah, well, that it has integrity. I mean, it's the same thing with recipes and anything else. I mean, <clears throat> literally, before I came in here, I was testing a saffron aioli that we we're going to put on one of the pizzas that we're going to ha- that we're going to have, and it just didn't cut it. And instead of trying to jazz it up and make it work just for the monetary value and then serve these guys something that isn't to our standards i just threw it out it's just something that you it's not good so it 
you know, I can't put my name on that. I don't want it to represent that. And I think there's inherent value that you can't really put on something. Like if you put out a, a bad beer just because you don't want to lose that money, there's no dollar amount on the negative effect that it could have down the line. Yeah. I mean, you will never be able to see that. I mean, yes, you can look at things black and white of I paid X amount for hops, malt, barley, water, etc., and then the labor. But if it doesn't speak to what you're really trying to sell, it's more valuable down the drain. Is that? Yeah. No, and that's that's why I mentioned, you know, like, all right, well, uh, friends and family, hey, you know, if you guys could tolerate this and you've already gone through a case of fucking Miller Lite in the summer and you you could stomach it after that, you know. Well, it gets hard, too. You know, I've run into this situation a lot of times where, you know, I'm sure Bob can attest to this, where you make something, you're like, this is fucking awesome. And then nobody likes it, or very few people are like, are you serious? Like, fuck. Like, I love that. Or, you know, produce something that you don't enjoy, and then, you know, people do love it. And it's like, well, you know, goddammit. It it gets really hard to... So how does that... How does that get judged? Like, do you like? Are you gonna have like a like a group that? Hey, try this. I, I know you like these beers. I know you like those beers. You guys try this feedback. Like, is it is that a process that goes into it before releasing something well, and deciding? I mean, or? feedback is constant. I mean, I uh, just an example. The other night, I uh, one of the first beers that I made. I I tapped and I let a bunch of people try and I was ready. I'm like I I don't know about this. You know I was having a moment and everybody tasted it and they're like, "Do not dump this beer. It's fucking great." <laughs> All right, you know, kind of talked me off the cliff yeah. with, with certain things, but no, the feedback's constant. Where um, you know, specifically with this tap room, you know, we're going to do a soft opening and you know. Bob's already taken notes on a lot of things, and we're, we're going to be right there getting feedback from the consumer because at this point we really only have feedback from, you know, a close group of friends, and then that's going to scale up to, you know, the larger population. So it's always things to be cognizant of and adjusting, um, and we have to balance our own integrity with the palate of the consumer. You know, it's, a, it's this great balancing act that we have to always be mindful of no one of the things that i always find in beers though is the way that they change week to week and one week how they're you know hitting your palate palate just right and a week later you're like man that's a dump beer but i mean i think from anybody creating anything that from a chef to a brewer to a baker to anybody doing anything that they put their heart and soul into at least for me speaking as a chef is that if I make something all day long, usually nine times out of ten, that's the last thing I want to eat. So let's yeah. let's just go with Thanksgiving dinner or whatnot. And you always are your harshest critic, at least I am. So I could serve something delicious to you know to five different people, and all five of them are like it's it's a nine out of ten. You're killing it. And for me, at least, I, I'm not going to speak for Al, but for me, it's just like you're full of shit. That's maybe a seven out of ten. That goes you know, for that, everyone. It, they, I mean, that's no, it doesn't yeah. matter if it's a sausage, it's a pig, it's a beer, it's a, you know, it, it's a meal. Yeah. You know, every, you're trying to get better and you don't think it's ever there. Right. Ever. Right. Well, that's, I, I was fucking around with making hot sauces last year and I plan to do it again uh, this upcoming year. Were you fermenting them? Yes. 
That's a, the first hot sauce I made was fermented. I, I have I actually don't think that I've done a non-fermented hot sauce yet. You should talk about fermentation. Yeah. Well, that's technically I don't know shit about it. I put it in a fucking jar with an tell airlock. Us, yeah. Tell uh, us about your process. Um, that's it. Pretty pretty simple, really. Like I just got some uh, half gallon mason jars with the airlock lids, and like I making my own sauerkraut, making my own uh, hot sauces uh with peppers that i grow in the garden uh which as you've seen it's, you know it's all still from last year and looks like shit i gotta get to work on that uh but he's got all his butcher box boxes oh, yeah. down for pathways <laughs> yeah yeah no no that's that's flooring boxes <laughs> um but no the ferment fermentation like i i i read a little bit about it and uh what i actually was kind of like the nail in the coffin for me to actually try it was a barbecue food truck down in sarasota florida um i've never had it i've I've had his sauces and whatnot but he's in uh like he's big into the jsk cigars uh so he's been up here for a couple of ristafaris and um you know i always get a sauce when i can and he posted something about fermenting a hot sauce and was like you know what? yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking give this a try i, I talked to him a little bit and, um, you know, it's, uh, Ray at mouth hole down in Sarasota, um, which last time I was down in Florida, I was planning on heading down there cause it was like an hour and a half drive. And, um, it was in the middle of fucking COVID everything. And, uh, his, his usual, uh, Tuesday night situation was canceled. It's like motherfucker. That's so. surprising. Yeah, well, it was it was early on, uh, so I'm, I'm Florida saying, was still. I think Florida man doesn't care about pandemics. Yeah, well, it was like he he has a what is it? I think it's Calusa Brewing. Like every Tuesday night, he would be at Calusa Brewing with the food truck, and the brewery was shut down because of COVID. Like, you know, I don't know if they were doing like hand sanitizers and shit like that at the time. Uh, which is Mouthful possible. Mouthhole is a great name too. By Mouth, the way. It, it, yeah, that's a fantastic one. H one word one H mouthhole. Um, but uh, Ray's a fantastic dude. Uh, he actually just left his career. Uh, he's a career plumber. Just left it to go strictly barbecue. And from smart man. From what I understand, he's fucking killing it down there, and that makes me happy. Um, but I've got another shipment of sauces coming in soon so that also makes me happy what interests you about fermentation uh i don't know it was just random like it was all right this doesn't seem like it's that hard to do and from what i understand fermented hot sauces have more of a flavor profile than just heat yeah uh, it's, it's yeah, not depth, just depth, depth and that's character. yeah, that's probably the best you know the the depth of flavors. Um, so, like, I did some some experimenting, and uh, I my the favorite one that I did was uh, Smoke Carolina Reaper, um, but that actually wasn't nearly the hottest one. Like, it was almost it was almost like a. a a low end medium, and because, you brought me in some reapers yeah. to the shop. But I, I only did like, I can't remember if it was like four or five reapers for the entire half gallon. The rest was like onions and green peppers and garlic and um, 
so it wasn't that hot, but it was fucking delicious. Um, then I did a, a scotch bonnet that was that was good, hot. Um, I I tried uh, a habanero jalapeno pineapple, but I think I let it ferment too long because I didn't get any of the uh, sweetness of the pineapple. Like was, there it, any, was there any cheddar in that jalapeno? No, no, no there, there was <laughs> no, not. There was no it, it, okay. No, it, it wasn't fitting for a sausage. Our so. next venture <laughs> for a brat jalapeno cheddar everything. Yep. Where like <clears throat> Griffith has a thriving downtown area, so we're gonna take everything that everyone does and just turn it into jalapeno cheddar. So oh yeah, yeah, like jalapeno cheddar coffee, jalapeno cheddar. <laughs> um, Talk to the popcorn lady. That shit's yeah, delicious. Tacos. Pop- have you talked to Gabe popcorn. at the Grindhouse about that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gabe, yeah, Gabe knows. We're gonna do jalapeno cheddar uh, coffee. We're gonna. We got Dave from Smugglers on it. Yeah, everything. Like we're gonna make jalapeno cheddar soap. Uh, <laughs> no, no, jalapeno cheddar everything <laughs> because that's all anyone cares about. Jalapeno cheddar soap. That would be fucking horrible. Everything. Jalapeno cheddar. Everything. I mean, jalapeno <laughs> cheddar soap is the most Midwestern way to clean yourself, I believe. Where, like, uh, yeah, you're just cleaning yourself with if cheese. If you can eat it, too, then that, that knocks out a half uh, hour So you can put it on routine. routine. Well, I mean, well, you, you could yeah, just... Yeah, when we make the jalapeno right? cheddar beer, then you can have uh, a shower beer, a you, jalapeno cheddar shower beer, and then take a bite out of your soap. Oh, I mean, for the soap, I mean, just make it a, just a block of pepper jack and call it soap. This is what I'm saying. A jalapeno <laughs> cheddar, everything. Oh, you yeah. need a lamb. Make jalapeno cheddar, cheddar, cheddar macaroons. Cheddar, <laughs> I'm gonna think soap every time now. Oh, this this jalapeno cheddar tastes like cilantro. <laughs> jalapeno cheddar, everything. That's no. the name of the business. Maybe we'll finally turn a profit. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how we'll start making money. That's right. By so, doing jalapeno cheddar, everything. So get, get some good processed I mean, cheese. How many jalapenos did you grow? Aged in jalapeno cheddar barrels. <laughs> <laughs> Is that still technically a local product? The the, the barrels are are the made from um, jalapeno stalks that sure. that have been uh, pressed and formed. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so hops, the only uh, plants you got growing on the farm? No, we have we have gardens too. So we do produce as well. Jalapenos, mainly. A lot of jalapenos. They sell. When I first met Steve six, whatever, years ago, they did, we did a lot of cool peppers on the farm that first year, or whatever year it was, but. Yeah, at that point it was probably first year. What were those upside down purple ones that grew? I don't even remember. Come on, man. I I do not remember. Um, he gave me a bunch of dehydrated ones that I have fermenting right now, actually, with ramps, or I'm sorry, not ramps, scapes. I always get those two mixed up because we have another buddy that grows garlic. So I've got some like scape slash how farms random dehydrated peppers. Pepper medley. Yeah. That's oh, I, think, I, think right. I, I just start ripping about them when you got them. things and I'm like, yeah. Yeah just been hanging out i kind of forgot about it because i also work seven days a week so i don't know that'll probably make an appearance at some point 
So because again, you can't just dump it down the drain, then you're losing money. So while while it crossed my mind, um, like with with the butcher shop, I, I just wanted to bring up like I I absolutely love how you how you started out. Um, instead of instead of opening up outright as as your not so crowdfunded um, adventure into starting the shop up, you just did uh, deer butchering for that season. And how many deer did you? Me and my mom did 170 deer. And uh, my mom has zero background in butchering at all, but she's totally down for the cause. Like, she wants to help her kids over anything. And, uh, you know, I come from a very blue-collar family. We were not born into money. So when we came up with the idea of doing a butcher shop, obviously you need funds to buy equipment, you need to buy animals, you need to buy spices, you need to buy a walk-in cooler, whatever. So um, my mom actually lined up the the walk-in cooler, which is really our showpiece at the shop, um, from a friend of hers who was working at a local florist. And they had a cooler in there that had never been functional and they just wanted to get rid of it. Her friend reached out and said, I think you said your son was starting a butcher shop. We've got this cooler. I don't know if it's of any interest to you. So I went and checked it out with a guy that does refrigeration. He said it would work. They gave me a hell of a deal on it. So we snagged, um, are walking from Monarch Florist. Shout out to Monarch. Um, Where are they at? I've never heard of them. They they were on the corner of uh, 30 and 41. They moved. I don't know where they're at now. But super cool. Uh, they gave us a great deal on that. We broke it down. We built it. We built it. We built it at my shop. And Very uh, Midwestern. It's the yeah. Highland education exactly. at its finest, man. I got a couple of these bourbons now. Um <laughs> So, basically, the building we bought was a, a, a blank canvas. It was linoleum tile, drywall, and drop ceiling. And we just went and got that cooler. We built it in the center of this building. And we got the building in August. By September 15th, the walk-in was functional. And then we just kind of started telling people that if you shoot a deer you can bring it here and we'll process it for you and i had never broken down a deer i had never skinned an animal before in my life but we just made it seem like i knew what i was doing (laughs) so you know first deer that came in i called steve and i was like holy shit someone actually brought me a deer so he came in uh, we waited until the gentleman left and then we took the deer outside and I figured out how to skin an animal and Steve watched me. That first deer took about 25 minutes to a half hour. A couple um, YouTube videos? Yeah, a couple YouTube videos. <laughs> I figured it out. And then, uh, <laughs> then the deer just kept coming in. And so I, I taught my mom how to trim which is a, a vital component to whole animal butchery. You're basically separating lean meat from unusable things, such as uh, silver skin, connective tissue. 
and fat and uh we sourced all our all our fat that we would combine with the lean meat from uh how farms and slagle family farms um our big thing was we weren't going to do jalapeno cheddar snack sticks. And Wait, you're not? No. No, we didn't do any jalapeno. I took my deer somewhere else. Because here's, here, here's the dichotomy of it is that people want their own deer back, but they also want you to take the whole thing and turn it into jalapeno cheddar snack sticks. And you can't really do that if you want your deer back. So we explained... We're gonna give you your deer back. We're gonna uh, we're gonna dry age it for 28 days, and we're gonna make fresh sausage out of all of it. So we did sausages ranging from uh, chorizo and merguez to Polish to breakfast sausage, and we just did it all fresh. And uh, yeah, we ended up doing 170 deer out of this place that looked like an accounting firm just moved out and. Some random hippie from California just moved in and decided to start processing deer. Uh, we took the money from that venture and parlayed it into our retail build-out, which coincided with the pandemic. And somehow we found a way to make it work and opened up in June of 2020 at the height of the slaughterhouse closures. Um so it provided a really interesting talking point because people wanted to know why the stuff at the local grocery store costs the same as what our stuff costs. And we were able to explain that our product is not tied to a commodity market, but the stuff at the grocery store is. So because they are tied to the commodity market, their prices reflect that. So that's why their pork chops were now 10 and $12 a pound, which are the same. We sell our pork chops for $12 a pound. Uh, their ribeyes, their New Yorks, everything like that, same price, except you're paying for a commodity animal that was raised on a factory feedlot, and ours came from Steve Howe, who lives 20 minutes south of here, and you can go look at his farm yeah. and see how he raises his animals and... At the end of the day, it just tastes exponentially better oh, yeah. than what you're going to get at Strax. Yeah. So it, it you know, it had its, it had its up and down, ups and downs as far as like, why is your stuff so expensive? But at the same time, Strax was the same price. So it gave us an opportunity to explain why yeah. things reflected the cost. That's you mentioned like steaks at Strax, like one of one of my. Like before you were around, this is years ago. They've they've been closed for a couple of years, I think. But Griffith Meat Market, uh, me and my buddy Jason were in there one day, just grabbing some steaks to grill out. And there was this uh, older guy in there, and he's he's just amazed at the selection. And he's like, "Oh my god, these steaks look even better than Strax." You know, da 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 da. I looked at my buddy's like, "God, I fucking hope so." You know, <laughs> but it's you know you're 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 always gonna get just a, a better product at you know a specialty store of any kind uh that definitely holds true with a with a butcher shop too so yeah there's um, not a lot of there's not a lot of people doing the whole animal butcher thing anymore um you know what's been fun for me is that when kids come into the shop uh you know oftentimes 
parents will take their kids to the grocery store and they just recognize meat as this thing that comes in a styrofoam tray with plastic wrapping and you know that's your pork chop whereas when they walk into my shop i have the heads on display from the pig that came from 20 minutes away and i'm able to have this conversation with kids and explain to them that yeah you know pigs have heads and and we buy the whole animal from the farmer and they think it's really cool whereas Minus the screwed up teeth yeah, my, yeah, I'm trying to work on like an Invisalign plan with how to where like the only thing is their teeth are super crooked. So if there are any, uh, what is it? Makes it uh, easier for them to eat. Well, I'm grass, just going to say that's that's just because they're from south of 30. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. I mean, I grew up like right on the other side of Griffith High School. So if there's anyone that's specializing in pig uh, dentistry or yeah. genetics. Yeah. The swine inv- the Invisalign? No. Swine Invisalign. Yeah. Swine Align? That's the next adventure after. It goes, it goes with the cranberry the loop. After the jalapeno no, It goes with the cranberry loop. No, it's, I, I was going to mention, you brought up the kids and the cooler. Like, I was going to mention when you were talking about the cooler, like, I mean, you you know my son, we're, we're in there. Yeah, it's uh, all glass. They we're, 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 not, we're not in there as much as I'd like to be, but when, when I take my kid in there, he's five, and he asks questions. Like, oh, dad, what, what animal, what's, what's that? big piece there's oh that's a that's a side of pig you know it's this it's it you know this head is that and i think that day you had a lamb hanging um in the background there and you know just he asked questions so now like when we're when we're eating dinner if i'm making something dad which animal is this and he doesn't have a problem with it because he knows he knows it's coming he can literally put a face to the name yeah yeah and and that's really cool that we're able to do that for kids um to where they understand that like this animal sacrificed its life so you could eat yeah um oddly enough it's the parents that have an issue with it to where they come in and they're like oh fuck there's a pig head right there well, that's and it's I, like yeah there is this the- summer we'll open the farm up for some of the worst customers and stuff so you can come out and see and actually make that complete connection for the yeah. kids you know so that you know, we want to tie it all together. Yeah. And we want that that transparency shouldn't just be with that glass. We want it to be out in the field, too. Yeah. And put the whole loop together. But I, I think it's funny because, uh, like you mentioned, the parents have a problem with it. I think parents just have this reservation that uh, the kid's going to get freaked out. But, I mean, kids are curious. They, they, they want to know everything. And, um, I mean, I can only speak for my own kid, but from what it sounds like, it seems like most kids are generally interested and or intrigued by it right they're not put off because they haven't been trained by the system yet. exactly so they have that natural curiosity to where they come in and when they see a head on display they want to know why that head's there they want to know what animal that is and then from the head then we're able to kind of like walk them through the rest of the animal and we're like yeah this is where your pork chops come from this is where you know this sausage comes from or whatever and i love the idea of kids coming into the shop at a young age and understanding that and then hopefully throughout the rest of their life they're able to remember like you know i remember going to this butcher shop with my dad when i was a kid yeah and they used to have the heads there and now i understand that you know this guy actually used the whole animal, and the farms that he worked with actually took care of these animals. Now, see, if you had pink pigs, you could grab a black Sharpie 
and draw the diagram of the chops and the ham and everything on sure, it for all sure. the kids to I'm see. I'm sure they do that at Fair Oaks. It's <laughs> <laughs> a whole other fucking ball. Yeah. So. Well, I don't even think, you said earlier that you think that the parents were somewhat scared of their kids seeing a whole head, when I don't think, I, 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 me personally, I think it is. Oh, I'll get that. As long as the cork's in, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, the cork's in. <laughs> um, I think the parents are legitimately intimidated by the head, and the children are braver because they don't know. Yeah. You know, I think, and like, the parents have had 30-plus years of being in, you know... Uh, Walmart. Um, yeah. Or society that, you know, meat comes from plastic with trays. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, if, if, if Ricky at the worst can teach people, you know, start to change culture. I think that's where we're all kind of at is like, is that we really want to display cuts of animal at the, at the kitchen, let's say, um, that fuzzy line that, okay, every, you know, beef has a shank. Every pig has a head, a shoulder, what all the off cuts, um, they need to get used to complete the circle from farm to butcher to, uh, chef to diner and avoid the landfill. And I mean, I, that, that's true local. I mean, the last 15, 20 years, everybody's used the word local liberally well, that's, and, and superficially, though, too. It's speak, like, well, it's local. Speak, well, speaking of that, like when I when I worked at the Whole Foods Distribution Center, like I asked questions like, how is this local when it's from, you know, because uh, I'm, you know, Midwest Chicago area distribution center and we were getting things from like St. Louis that were local and. It's like, how is this local? Like, oh, anything within 500 miles, that's not fucking local. Right. That's not local at all. People Nor are they like, bringing in the whole animal. People like being ignorant to the whole damn thing. Yeah. They don't want to know. I mean, the parents well, don't want to as, know. As long as, as long as the sign says local, people whole are, are going to buy into it. Walmart. 100%. Yeah. The word yeah. local is just like the word sustainable. Or, or Define it. Or, or every, natural. Yeah, everyone has a different. Natural is so fucking misleading. Yeah. You know. But I mean that's that's a whole nother story. But um, so as far as uh, you said, you had like twenty years chef experience. Is there any specific background there, like types of food, or? Well, I mean, the last like five years, I was out in San Diego working for a barbecue company, but ownership didn't go too well, and they kind of COVID hit, and I moved back. Um, but. I've worked with farm to table before in Chicago. Like I said, I was, I was, um, I'm from Northwest Indiana, but I've worked, I've kind of worked the gamut of, you know, from your country clubs to, um, farm to table to barbecue to fine dining. Um, and what we really come down to is like the true roots of like why we're bringing people to the table, you know? And then with this group, I'm lucky to, be able to bring that whole experience at one table in a restaurant Yeah, from where I know the farmer, I know the butcher, I know the brewer, you know, I know what food that we're putting out on that plate um, and what kind of experience, what kind of memories can we make from that while also kind of teaching through a plate of food. You know, how do we have a conversation nowadays when um, everybody's glued to their phones all the time. I mean, how many restaurants you go to where couples or anybody else is just like, you know, you order an appetizer, now they're all glued to 
their phones nonstop throughout the whole meal. It's not a dining experience. Yeah. It's what life is now. So how do we escape that for a couple hours and make things interesting? Um, and a lot of our food that we're going to serve at the uh, at the brewery is, you know, you know, street food's kind of played out. But I mean, food that everybody's been eating for the last thousand, two thousand years. It's uh, it's what the world's eating, and you the, the the true definition of local. You know, like I mean, if it would be if I brought in a lobster roll. You know, to the Midwest, you're yeah. not eating local. You know, you're not really supporting anything. But it's got local celery in it. Right, <laughs> right, you know. So, I mean, what we're trying to do is really have a guest experience to where you're eating something delicious. It's some, it, it, it's, you know, raised, or it's, it's, it's raised correctly. And then it's presented in a way in an environment with beers that really make it a thoughtful experience yeah. to where you should be, you know, continually talking about what just happened at the brewery that you're at. And if you're going to come back and like when and, and, and how fast and, and, and sharing different experiences together where you really made a lasting memory of something that it, it, it should be that way. You know? Yeah. That's I'm, I'm definitely pretty interested to, to check out the menu once, once, uh, you guys, you're, you're opening in what, a, a week, two weeks, somewhere around there? Uh, official opening is May 6th. May 6th. Yep. All right. You heard so, it here first. <clears throat> I was going to say, Ooh. that was the first announcement right there. Wow, I got, a, I got, I got an exclusive. <clears throat> Hopefully this airs May 7th. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's uh, from from what I hear, the, the menu is going to be pretty, pretty interesting. And, you know, I'm probably going to be trying a lot of stuff that I never would have tried otherwise so but i mean it's it's presented in a way that's familiar that everybody knows you know like uh like i mean it, it i want it to be a shared dining experience but something that isn't too scary to scare up the general public of yes we will have you know pizzas but it's not going to be a normal pizza yeah you know it's not going to have red sauce and and mozzarella or whatever we're going to have different sandwiches on there but it will you know some of our sandwiches will present on a roadie bread which is just, um, you know, essentially a pita, but from, you know, India, you know, and, and just really putting things out there that eat light. Um, they're presentable in a way that you're familiar with it, um, with super local ingredients and seasonal as well. So, I mean, the menu is going to keep changing yeah. as the seasons keep going, you know, further through the, for, through the year. And we're just going to highlight everything at its at its height, so, you know, you know if uh, you know if if there's ever going to be, let's say, any sort of tomato on the menu, like we know when tomatoes are in season, um, and then we'll pr- try to preserve that throughout the year as well. So if we can get local produce in, and really capture the flavor in that moment and preserve it, you know, throughout the year in our you know larder, um, then the world's our oyster. We can make any sort of flavor combinations we really want. With um, you know global influence on local product, but oysters aren't local. No. <laughs> Unfortunately, I do not. I do not see. <laughs> you know what the it word is? local cracks me Caviar. up. Anymore. They every local business wants to scream, "Hey, you need to spend your money local," but none of them buy shit from producers locally. No, so it's just a bunch of bullshit anyway. I, as a producer, I hear it constant. 
Yeah, I I mean I get that, but I mean the the mic stand, for example, going back to that, you can't do that. I know. I, yeah. I on the on this side. Yeah. 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 But I mean, food you you could definitely go all local with food. Um, but uh, yeah, that's. I mean, I I definitely try to go to the grindhouse more often than you know Starbucks. Uh, I mean. The, the coffee, most of the coffee that he gets, I, I think, is out of Chicago. Yeah, it's, they or, get a lot of local or stuff. smugglers. Yeah, they get a lot of smugglers. They're out of Lowell. Lowell. Yeah, okay. Dave is a great dude. And uh, not only are they making really great coffee, but he always makes a point to come in and support local as well. Yeah. To where when he drops off his co- uh, coffee to Grindhouse, he stops in the shop and he's my favorite type of customer to where he wants to know what we have that's different this week than the last time he stopped in. Yeah. So like this week we have uh garam masala goat sausage. We have a sausage that's called Mechanek, which is uh, a Lebanese style sausage. It's, it's customers like that, that really make my day enjoyable to where I'm not just making jalapeno cheddar snack sticks. <laughs> God, I want those now. <laughs> Oh, it's gonna, there's going to be a jalapeno cheddar something on a, on the menu. Anyone listen to this wants jalapeno cheddar now? That's that's probably a pretty good possibility there. I mean, at least Brandon put it out on like a shirt or something. I mean, the worst shirts have to have a jalapeno, jalapeno cheddar something right on it. All right, here. Just consider <laughs> where that high temp jalapeno cheddar cheese is coming from. All right. First of all, the dairy industry is very different than the cattle industry. Is this why so, you hate Wisconsin? There's a lot of reasons that I don't. I mean, like it is Wisconsin. It's Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the dairy industry is very different than uh, the cattle industry, and the other thing taken into consideration is that jalapenos are not a native species, and in order for you to turn cheddar cheese into a product that does not melt. Just ask yourself what needs to happen in order for that cheese not to melt. And then how was the animal raised that produced this high temp jalapeno cheddar cheese? That's all. That's that's the last you're going to hear about jalapeno cheddar. I highly doubt it. I get it. Five minutes. Maybe everything maybe maybe from you, but I'm sure it's going to get brought up again. Truth be told, this really isn't even a podcast about fuzzy line or how farms are the worst. This is an intervention podcast (laughs) about jalapeno cheddar. Anything. So I mean, surprises on you. Um, Just get off. I don't, I don't normally title my episodes, but maybe this one will have to be a jalapeno cheddar intervention. And fuck pickles. <laughs> now, see, that's that's. Uh, I didn't even bring up pickles earlier, but I, I make my own pickles. Uh, I don't ferment them. I should I, I should probably give that a try. Uh, doing some fermented pickles. I love pickles. But uh, that's I used to. All the pickles that I made were out of the garden, but I started selling more than I could grow, so I started buying them from. Uh, Chiringa down the street, you know, local farm, uh, getting getting the pickling cucumbers from there and doing it that way. Uh, but all the peppers that are in there are from the garden. Uh, so you pickle the peppers. Too. Do a lot of pickled peppers too. Uh, that's I I did uh, like sliced jalapenos. <laughs> uh, Those are great though. And ones they, are good. I I love I I use the same brine. I use the same brine uh, that I use for the pickles, and the jalapenos turn out fantastic. Yeah. And 
I, the jalapenos are generally a little bit hotter than normal because I think they're getting a little bit of the pollen from the reapers and scotch bonnets that, that are next to them. So, um, you know, yeah, they're, they end up, they end up pretty tasty. So, uh, I, I am supposed to try just doing a couple of jars of straight pickled Carolina reapers for a couple people. Uh, so that should be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever eaten a Carolina reaper? Uh, not ripe. I, I have eaten a unripe Carolina reaper to, to see how that went. It tasted very green. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody grows Carolina reapers and I've had the honor of eating ripe Carolina reapers. Yeah, that's, I, 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 I keep telling myself if I'm going to grow them, then I need to pony up and fucking eat one but it's, I, I, I it's still only it. the worst pain you've experienced for like a half hour yeah <laughs> no that's uh so the, so the heat the heat on the green carolina reaper was about the same as a fully ripe jalapeno uh but like i said it tasted it tasted very green uh very very unripe i guess mm-hmm. um but yeah that's something that you know, eventually I got to fucking make myself do so. That guy that invented it, I read that he had come out with like two other ones that were hotter. Recently. Yeah, like, like Pe- Pepper X, which I, I don't know. If, I don't know if Pepper X and Dragon's Breath are the same pepper. Okay. Uh, but I know. I remember reading that Dragon X was hotter than the Carolina Reaper, but not consistent enough to hold the world record, at least at that time. Okay. I don't know if anything's changed since then, uh, but I think I think that's pucker butt peppers that that made them. Uh, that the one out of like South Carolina or something yeah. like that. I, yeah, I, I remember but, reading about. Um, but yeah, I know. Uh, like hot ones, they like they they they've had their sauces made with like the dragon's breath and shit like that. So. Uh, but yeah, as far as I know, Carolina Reaper is still the most consistent, hottest pepper in the world. But no thanks. I don't really keep up with it that much. So, so like, I mean, if if he's growing them here in Griffith, do we have like a secret bottle of just tremendously hot sauce in I mean, the kitchen? We, we were making beef jerky out of it uh, when he brought him in last time. So, because man, I don't oh, get many pepperheads like throughout my career, like. Pepperheads are like that are super rare. So but if like you, somebody once and again will be like, "Give me something hot," and that's always just like, "That wasn't fucking hot." I'm like, okay, man. So, like, I only can yeah. do so much. So I, I think if this would, I, it, I mean, you could make it into local, yes, but uh, original, not really. But I mean, it, it seems like if you put a challenge on the wall, you're gonna draw people in for that challenge. We're and not going to do challenges. That's that's what I was going to say. Like that's it's too gimmicky for yeah. what it it seems like what you guys are we can going just challenge for. Challenge people yeah. to have a really good time. It, it, see, there you go. Aww, there you go. Challenge. This this is it. But but then you're going to get fucking Yelp reviews. They're like, oh well, I took this challenge and I didn't have a really good time. <laughs> and those, those people. people. Should, I mean, that would be interesting. I'd actually like to. I, that's the one Yelp review that I would like to read. Yeah. Like I was challenged to have a great time, and I'm ruining it right now. Like that'd be great. I'd love to hear that. <laughs> I went, oh, we're, I'm sure we're nothing hear about it. the product whatsoever. Just <laughs> it's kind of like untapped. 
I went, Already I, went complete... I can see it right off the bat. It's going to be like, the food was terrible because there were no TVs. Or like, just something stupid. Or it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, what, is that? what does that mean? I, I wasn't able to enjoy my f- my food to the fullest extent because the Wi-Fi sucked. Yeah, I couldn't charge my phone. <laughs> I hate these pigs. <laughs> Do you ever read the beer reviews? Yeah. Uh, like I yeah, dropped one, I drop my beer. Yeah, one star, I dropped my beer. Yeah. They, they, they should have had sandpaper lining around the glass so, I, so it wouldn't slip out from the condensation. That's right. That's right. You know. It was too cold. But there's so many positive reviews. <laughs> so how many different hops do you have on the farm? Uh, we are down to three. I mean, there's thousands of plants, <laughs> but three varieties now. Yeah. We've trialed dozens of different ones, but you know, they don't grow here. Yeah. It's almost like, though, your hops have... You know, even though they have what, what you're doing, the Comet, Chinook, and Cascade, it's almost like they've taken on their own terroir. Yeah, yeah, they're terroir. Like the the, uh, they're the Chinook different. is is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It's way different than any Chinook that I've ever come across. It's all in the soil. Yeah. Now, Al, I've I've tried Steve's hops and many at many different breweries, and he, I notoriously love anybody that does a wet hop. From his farm, is there any shot of fuzzy line doing a wet hop beer? There is a shot. There is a shot as long as uh, Steve will allow me that shot. Right. That, so that is the farmer's. That's like my least favorite stuff. Yeah, it goes right there with Belgians. For it, well, it's it, and it's it would, it's my no, least favorite too as a uh, manufacturer because it's very challenging to use wet hops. I mean, you're talking a lot of time and a lot of just bulk in the kettle to to pull something like that off you know but i would love to try that it's something i have only done once at at mars we did that all right so wet hops versus dry hops wet is coming right out of the field so we okay, harvest so the it, full, the bring full it that day. normally what we do is we harvest and we go plant to pellet within 24 hours so we dry uh, mill it into a dust, then pelletize, and then gas purge bags and into freezers. Um, this would be literally taking it right out of the field to the kettle. Yeah. So, so do you get different notes? A lot, a lot more on the, you know, that green, grassy, earthy notes. Um, but like you said, in the kettle, there's all sorts of problems from yeah. you know, extraction and everything else that are. Um. So from from start to finish, like what's the average length of time that it takes that from all, from start to drink? Oh, that all depends on the beer. So the two pale ales that I've done showcasing Steve's hops uh, are ten days from start to finish. I try to keep them as fresh as possible. Um, when I start getting into you know more common uh, types of beer, regular ales, you're looking at you know, two to three weeks. Loggers can, you know, they typically take three to six weeks, sometimes longer. And then uh, some of the sour beers, uh, upwards of a year to three years. Yeah, I was going to say, sours, sours can depends. be pretty time-consuming. They can be. They can be. That's I mean, it. there's... I mean, I don't know shit, but from, from what I understand. It all depends on, on what the end goal is and, and really what you're trying to... Um, Cokes out of the raw ingredients and what sorts of uh, flavors and aromas that uh, the brewer has in their head, you know, for the final product. Yeah, and it's it's a 
it's a challenge too when you're dealing with something that takes you know three years to make it's going to go through uh, a process and um different periods in the life of that beer where it's like oh my god this is terrible or you know it's always like you know keeping your eye on the prize like noticing a flavor you're like okay this is going to be highlighted in a year you know really being mindful of like okay how is this beer going to evolve you know now to where you know in a year where it's sitting in a barrel and then how is it going to involve evolve once it gets into a bottle and it's it's conditioning over time so um yeah it's uh it all depends on on what you're trying to go for yeah yeah and then are, are you planning on doing anything like barrel aged uh, yeah uh the entire basement of the brewery is going to be dedicated to barrel aging. I don't have any barrels down there yet. Um, there's a fooder being manufactured by Fooder Crafters in Missouri. Uh, it should be uh, coming to us in the next few months. That's going to be housed down there. And slowly, that's where the, the sour barrel aging program is 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 going to live in in our basement. So, you know, barrel by barrel. You know, year by year, we'll be able to increase that until we're actively producing and emptying and refilling barrels to keep up with demand in the tap room. So, can you reuse those barrels? Absolutely. Or that, like, I'm I'm assuming if you're using the same style of beer, it's not going to make much of a difference. Or uh, if you want a different flavor profile, you're going to use a different a different barrel. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the barrel. Um, depends on where the barrel came from what what sorts of uh uh, liquids were in that barrel beforehand but there comes a certain point where i'm using wine barrels whiskey barrels mezcal barrels whatever it is after a few turns through that barrel essentially it's just a vessel yeah um but it will take on its own um character there's gonna be bacteria and yeast that are naturally gonna um live and survive inside that barrel and unfortunately, when you're doing a barrel program, it's not uncommon to have to get rid of certain barrels or dump certain beers. You know, typically what I've seen is about a 30% rate of, you know, the amount of beer that has to be destroyed, you know, when you're dealing with that sort of process. But so that, you have to, you have to destroy on average 30%? About, about 30%. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Um, but I mean, that, that's just the nature of the beast when you're, when you're dealing with wood aging and that's all fine um but yeah i mean we can reuse barrels indefinitely as long as we're on top of barrel maintenance and and cleaning and inspecting and and repairing you know over time they're going to leak and they will need some repair uh anybody else another cigar i'm good thank you very much if we're going to go for like a hardcore history with dan carlin <laughs> I don't know about that. We can do a five-hour podcast. No, that's. Uh, I'm down. I, I'm, Let's do it. I'm, I'm waiting for him to come out with another episode. Actually, uh, did you want one or? Yeah, give me mm-hmm. something different. Right now, right. so we'll what'd both you give me uh, La Imperiosa, the Crown Heads. Now it's gonna follow the barber pole a little bit better than what the my father would. Um, had all kinds of shit over here, uh, but well, thank you. Oh, you are a gracious host. I I do my best. I try. So, um, and you're you're a you're a regular cigarette smoker. 
So, uh, have you... I am, yes. There's probably been plenty of customers that have seen me out front having a smoke as they're walking into the shop. And 90% of them are like, hey, what's up? Go mm-hmm. ahead and finish your smoke. We're going to look around. Yeah. So, uh, is, is there a difference in enjoyment between the cigar and the cigarette? or? Uh, yeah. Uh, cigar is like special occasion for me, whereas uh, cigarette is stupid. I wish I would have never picked up the habit. But uh, to revisit an earlier topic, I actually got started smoking cigarettes because I had to stop smoking weed. Um because I was being drug tested for a job, <clears throat> and the mindset was, I'll just smoke cigarettes for a couple weeks and not smoke weed. Yeah. And now I don't smoke weed, and I just smoke cigarettes. Yeah. And I don't get drug tested. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I do smoke American spirits. All natural. All natural. All baby. natural. So. Uh, no, I, I, I smoke cigarettes for a long time. Um quit so cigars are the how'd you quit uh a lot of different ways which time so (laughs) what worked tell me uh a lot of attempts uh a lot of the same thing over and over again uh try different things tried tried the patch that worked for a while tried gum that worked for a while tried just cold turkey you know it just it it, I guess it just depends on... Trade smoking turkeys? N- uh, uh, I've never actually smoked a turkey, but I have had smoked turkey. So We don't carry turkey. <laughs> I actually just picked up uh, some, some turkey loads from, from Blythe's. Uh, just because, like you mentioned the other day about yeah, like we turkey, hunting. turkey hunting. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to pick up some, some shots just in case I do decide and... You know, before there's a fucking run on those, too. Uh, What'd you yeah, say? Turkey lungs? Loads. 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 Yeah. Turkey loads. Uh, shotgun shells. Open your mouth. No, I just I didn't know <laughs> if you could do haggis out of turkey lungs. Lungs are one of the few things you cannot get uh, for whatever reason. Again, is that is illegal too. in this country. So traditionally made haggis is made with uh, sheep lungs and all the other offal, and you cannot legally purchase lungs in this country. Really? Really. I can get liver, spleen, kidney, heart, whatever. I so, cannot get lungs. So how does that work with the the whole animal? Like, can, can you use what you get? I use everything that I get, but I can't get lungs. So how does it, like, if you're getting the whole animal... They, they cannot legally sell me the lungs. So the lungs are removed before... Correct. Oh, no shit. <clears throat> huh. Don't know why, but that's the law. He's getting the whole legal animal. Yeah. I do know in the inspection they have to inspect specific things as it comes out of the animal. And certain ones have to be dumped because they could carry whatever. And so rather than, you know, say this one's okay, they just get rid of it all. That's that's random. Like there's a lot of random when it comes. I to mean, that. granted, I don't I don't normally think of you know eating lung. Obviously, like I've never I've probably never thought of it before in my sure. life. Uh, but, but for it to be outlawed, we're we're not in a position to. We we haven't had to. But you look at all these different cultures that had to go through every part of the animal. Yeah, and it goes back to eating dog. 
right? To where... I don't know if it goes all the way back there, but No, sure. but what I'm saying is we're very fortunate <clears throat> at this day and age that we have a choice on what, what we need. can use to sustain ourselves. Sure. Whereas people look at something like eating a dog and they want to make it seem like it's cold-hearted or whatever Correct. it may be. But 500 years ago, before refrigeration, before all this modern technology, you ate what was available Correct. to you. Yeah. And if it's a matter of living or dying or feeding your family or not, I don't see a problem with no, eating a dog. And then the culture grew to, to that. That was right. one of their flavors. I mean, the guinea pig is the same way. Well, the species shouldn't be considered, you know, eating a certain species shouldn't be cold-hearted. It should be, no matter what species, how it's raised and how it's killed. Yeah. Because Dogs could be sustainable, right? I know. And if that, they, dogs that's are very consistent. They're, they're very sustainable. sustainable if you ask the if human society. If they were raised and slaughtered, that would be fine. But know? now that's a problem that we have, right? The cats, the dogs. I'm not going to say. Angus. I'm not going to say. R.I.P. Angus. Yeah. If you're I'm, out there clubbing, you know, pigs. Yeah, you know, there might be a problem. I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to say that I'm going to be the first one to jump on the bag bandwagon for uh, grabbing the animals from the humane society to no, no, to, no, no, to no. throw in a stew. But uh, nor are any of us. But <laughs> it's the premise of you know looking down on the culture because of doing yeah. it when out of necessity is how it you know yeah came to be, and that's we are lucky enough to be in a situation where we've never had to. I don't know, lucky enough. It might be delicious. Maybe we're unlucky. Hell, I don't know. Good point. I know one aspect, and I bring this back to the the beer industry, uh, there's some states that have made it um, legal to make beer out of untreated water because the process actually, you know, it it makes using that water safe anyway. So that would be one thing. We're like, oh, so, you know, where's your water come from? Well, the gutter. Yeah, no, we, we... it rains. It go. It comes yeah. off the roof and it goes in our kettle. Like it's a lot of boot like, shit right the there. Fuck? Well, that brings up another interesting thing that I learned from you, and that was the the farm style saison, uh, right? What like what is the history of that beer and why was that brewed? In terms of uh, field help, and at the time, water was not safe to drink. Yeah, they're using whatever they had to make beer and also make it safe and low alcohol enough to where you could drink it, you know, in place of water because the water was unsafe. So that's the beginning of seltzers. Seltzers are great. That's where White Claw (laughs) came from. (laughs) Those those things are delicious. I am 6'3", 250, and will drink that shit all day and feel manly (laughs) as hell. Which seltzer is considered beer in the eyes of the government somehow. Yeah. Which is good. It's great. I just find that fascinating that the the saison right? Am I am I overstepping my limitations here? Is it saison that it was brewed specifically to hydrate the people that were working the fields because the water was not safe enough to drink, so you fermented what you had in order to make it safe and low ABV to where you could drink it throughout the day, not be drunk and yeah in a way but that, could, that goes for you know beer in general they're you know brewing beer for different purposes just like what there were monks that would whatever during lent would only drink what bach beer uh know? i don't think it was bach 
Uh, I can't remember. I actually just listened to something about it that was pretty intriguing. But, um, and like one of the rules for these monks was if you couldn't fit through the doorway, you couldn't drink any of this beer because it was only, like that's all they would have for this period of fasting was this beer. And if you drank too much and you got too fat to fit through the doorway, you were not allowed to have any more until you thinned down a bit to fit through the door. So that's, I, I don't remember what kind of beer it was, but that's... Isn't I, that cancel culture? <laughs> it's definitely fat shaming. That's what I'm saying. I think fat, that fat monk shaming? was brave. <laughs> oh boy. Yep, we're going to hit all the notes on this one. Yeah. yeah, might as well, you know. So, um, let's see what else we got. You got notes? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got I got notes on how I'm going to make a menu item. <clears throat> yeah, you'll love it. Uh-huh. So, like, I mean, this whole conversation's kind of inspired this dish that Steve and I are going to create. I bet I could guess two of the ingredients. I bet you can. <laughs> And it's not dog. Salt. We brought up dog twice. <laughs> it's salt. not dog. So if anybody's listening and thinking that's the first ingredient, it's not puppies. Not that there's anything wrong with it. <laughs> yeah, no. But I mean, I'll just give you a little side peek of it. It might might make it on the menu eventually. But the main ingredient is the the, the ratio is poutine plus pizza plus Ricky hate equals the FRP, which is. The fuck Ricky pizza. The fuck Ricky pizza. Which poutine on a pizza? With some jalapeno and cheddar. Jalapeno cheddar? Or fuck Ricky, it's got pickles. Oh, I like that too. Garnish it with pickles. I like that. Cucumber pickles. Yeah. Right. Yeah, not not pepper pickles. Right. Fuck Ricky pickles. I like this. That would sell too. It would what if it what if it became the number one selling item? Pickles on a pizza? I'm telling you right now, if I made jalapeno cheddar brats, it would be the number one selling <laughs> item. But but I thought you said they wouldn't be brats. They're I, not. I thought you but said you, you just called them brats. I know. Did, I did just not a heads up, I just source locally grass fed cheddar. If you wanted hot menu items, you should do all the things that I hate. <laughs> Yet the shop thrives. We're doing all right, man. I mean, considering that we open in the middle of a global pandemic and we have a somewhat radical business model, it has been a pleasant surprise to see that it's been well received. Um, Every day, I feel like more people are seeing Ricky's vision. Um, you know, yeah, I'm going to sit here and talk shit about the jalapeno cheddar. That's just because I like busting his balls. But his mindset on this is truly a sustainable mindset. I know I made fun of the word sustainable, but when we when we look at things that are good for you know the environment, um, the economy, the community, and we look at all these things, he's doing that. Yeah, you know he's walking the walk, and people are seeing that, and they're coming in and they're being more adventurous, and they're um, they're trusting him, you know, and to give. You know, to give them more options, and um, it, it because of that trust, you know, from the community, it'll only get better because then yeah. he's allowed to be more creative and go into these other cultures and introduce more things and give more of an education. And like you said earlier, the cigars were this thing that um, brings people together, and that for us, it's alcohol and food. 
Yeah. Like that is our, um, and that goes across, you know, food goes across every culture. Alcohol goes every, across every culture. Everybody's got to eat. And, and it's one of those things that, um, you know, it, 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 I'm watching it happen every week. Just more and more people are, you know, being introduced and, you know, enjoying these things. It's, it's wonderful to see. Yeah. That's, I, I like, so it's happened to me twice now that I walked into the worst. And the first time uh, I walk in, there were two guys in there for the first time. And, you know, they're looking. I, I, I think all of us wanted uh, ribeyes. And uh, Ricky didn't recognize me because I just got my hair cut. So, and you had a mask on. And, and I had a mask on. Um, but, uh, you know, these guys were, you know, first time in their shop. And, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I'll be with you. And it's like, yeah, no worries. Like, take care of them first. And, uh, you know, he asked me what I was looking for, ribeyes. He's like, well, I, man, I only got a few ribeyes left. Like, I don't know if I'm going to have enough for everybody. It's like, take care of them. I could figure out something else if need be. But the, the conversation that these two guys were having was, you know, at, with, with Ricky was, yeah, you know, the only reason we're here is because this shop was closed on Sunday. And, you know, we never knew this place was here. And it's like, you know, I, I loved listening to that because that alone, uh, you know, probably they're probably closer to home. And uh, from what I gathered, they probably had a better experience at this shop than the other shop that's, you know, very well known in the area. Sure. And help probably got a better product, too. Well, I mean, most of them all come, Strax and them all get it from the same place. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then the second time, I, I, I think it was, uh, you know, a lady in there with a kid, and, you know, she was taking her time, and it's like, oh, you know, go, like, for, you know, first timers, like, I definitely want them, you know, yeah, obviously I want to get served, but I know, like, if I have to leave and come back, I'm right down the street, you know, and I've been there before. I, I, I know what, what to, what to get, but a first timer, like, I definitely want them to have the best experience sure. that they could have at the, the extremely local shop that's, like I said, doing it better than the other well known shop. Well, the big deal is, it's not just whole animal. It's also a traceability thing. You know, you can go into these other places and ask where it came from, and no one can tell you because yeah. they don't have a clue. Including yeah. Whole Foods. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. They, no one has a clue. There's no one around here that you could say, ah, it came from here. Mm -hmm. And you can have that traceability. Um, I mean, just from a food safety aspect, that's huge. Yeah. Well, the other part of it that I think is worth mentioning is that a lot of people get upset that we don't have a phone number, but when they come in and we're able to have the conversation about here's what's available, and if you tell me where where your mind's at, what you're trying to do, what you want to serve your family, we can have that conversation. And oftentimes I'll hear, you know, I, I tried to call and talk about this, but I couldn't find a phone number, and that gives me the opportunity to explain I don't have a phone number because if I did, you and I wouldn't be able to have this conversation right now. I would be answering the phone. I would be filling all these custom orders, whatever. By not having a phone number, that's allowing me to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. And if I don't have the cut that you wanted to call an order, 
it's going to allow me to walk you through the process of using that whole animal and get you to where you want to go and probably save you a ton of money in the process. Yeah. And, you know, get to try something you probably normally wouldn't have tried before. Right. You know, that's um, the first time I ever had and or made short ribs was because I walked in and, yeah, I want something different. Uh, you know, something I could, you know, cook this way and I go, how about short ribs? Like, Hey, sounds like a good idea. And they were fucking delicious. So, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely nice to have that interaction and be able to go from, from here to there and try new things. And one of the things that we really want to work on moving forward is, utilizing the the technology that is available to us at this day and age and educating through that so we would like to do uh not only like instructional butcher demos but also every cut throughout every animal we would like to show people not only where that cut comes from but also how to use that cut because one of the things that I hear frequently is, uh, you know, your stuff is more expensive than I would get at Strax or whatever it may be. And my concern is that I'm going to spend this money and mess this cut up. So we, a big part of what we do is education. Um, we have a huge cookbook library in the shop that we, I'm constantly trying to encourage people to, to use. Um, but it's not enough. We realize that education is, is a large majority of what we do. And if we can make that information more readily available to the average consumer, we're aware of that and we are working on it on a daily basis. And, and just because we don't have a phone number doesn't mean that we are not trying to help you to the best of our ability. We're trying to help you in the best way that we possibly can. So moving forward, there there are going to be a lot of things that are going to come out that will hopefully assist in that process of it's it should not be intimidating. Food should be fun. You should be able to come in and show the pig head to your kid and then figure out how to cook that pig head at home without any any struggle. So I'm from just general conversation here about fuzzy line and the kitchen and everything. You're, you're, you're trying to stray away from the gimmicky bullshit, uh, that normal places would have such as like, you know, uh, a pint pints and pallets, you know, uh, or, or, uh, wine and pallet, wine and paint, you know, type night. Uh, as far as educating goes, what about like, uh, you know, every month you do a, Hey, Here's this organ. This is how you should prepare it. We've done a couple butcher demos to where we've we've literally broken down a whole animal in front of a crowd, had them eat raw pork. Um, when when they walked in the door, you you started by eating the snout of the animal to where we made what's called porchetta de testa, uh, which is um, a, a boned out pig's head rolled up, cooked, and seasoned. Uh, we had it sliced and 
presented in a very sexy way to where people walked in and they saw it and they ate it, not knowing that it was the face of a pig. That's where their experience began. And then as we broke down the pig from the head to the tail, we would bring out dishes that this is from the shoulder, this is from the loin, this is from the belly, this is from the sirloin, this is from the ham. And explain to them that every part of this animal is usable. It's just you're not used to seeing it used this way. So the dessert was actually a smoked pork fat ice cream. And it was phenomenal. We make a bacon caramel out of our bacon ends to where like when you when you slice bacon there's always the random like odd bits that will not slice well but if you look at what caramel is it's basically just rendered fat with sugar and water so we add sugar to the rendered bacon fat and turn it into caramel and that makes an excellent ice cream topping so I mean, I guess at the end of the day, what we're doing is just trying to present simple things to people to where like you're familiar with caramel, you're familiar with ice cream, you're familiar with prosciutto, but you know, this prosciutto is made from the face rather than the ham and just trying to make it to where it's not so intimidating and explain that, you know, with, with very minimal work, you can do this. And you yourself can explain to the people that are eating at your table that, you know, I buy my stuff from this place. They showed me how to do it. And it's really not that hard. Food Network, just like, you know, any other reality TV is trying to tell you that, you know, you got to eat high on the hog and use these expensive ingredients and these complicated processes. And really, the best food comes from poor people that did not have the means to eat high on the hog. So we're trying to show people not only through the shop that a beef shank is excellent, but also through the brewery. A lot of the dishes that you're going to see on that menu are not high on the hog. They're from shanks. They're from offal. They're from, uh, you know, things that, that aren't flying off the shelves. And we're presenting it in a way that is not only accessible, but it's also giving you a bit of a history lesson on, you know, people that were not wealthy. This is how they ate. And this is how the best food that we have now came about. Yeah. Well, that's uh, kind of reminiscent of uh, the Ratatouille movie. You yeah. know, the just the, all right, yeah, this is a shit dish for peasants. But, you know, it brought the, the critic back to his childhood and just that general comfort of wow this is this is actually really amazing and why don't i have this more often because it's easy to uh it's easy to sell home run contests and slam dunk contests and all that you know that's what people want to see they want to see slam dunks they want to see home runs but if you can present things in a way that are a home run or a slam dunk but from something that is not you know uh, a filet mignon or a pork chop 
and explain to them that this is a lot more affordable and this is why it kind of demystifies the whole process and teaches people that you can eat very well for less than what you think to where if you're spending you know seven bucks a pound at Strax for a pork chop but you're spending seven bucks a pound at the worst for a pork shank you can braise that pork shank and turn it into tacos for your whole family for the entire week. Yeah. So it's just, you know, a lot of it is education and showing people that you don't, you don't have to be well off to eat well. You don't have to be well off to support local. I am not well off. I'm trying to show you this is how I live. This is how I eat. And this is how people have eaten for centuries. Yeah. It just goes back to thoughtful farming. Thoughtful brewing, thoughtful butchery, thoughtful cooking. So, I mean, if you didn't have, you know, the the means to present the high on the hog cuts, then you actually have to think and use technique and make it delicious for your everyday family. And just because it's a shank or a belly or anything else like that, I mean, it, it isn't a filet mignon, doesn't mean that it doesn't taste amazing. You just have to be thoughtful enough to put it on a plate and, and, and cook it the right way to make it absolutely delicious. No. You know, I think, and I know <laughs> we've been against the word sustainability, but that's what it truly, it's not the super, the superficial meaning of sustainability is, you know, is that we always have that animal to harvest or, you know, take a chop from where if we're using the feet, the head, the the shanks on everything that's as close to it for me at least as a chef is that you're going to get you know utilize absolutely everything i always laugh because the lower on the animals the more flavor yeah yeah i mean we talk all the time i don't think i've had a pork chop in a couple years no but i eat pork almost every day and that's coming from a pork farmer but same with beef i don't eat ribeyes no it's like i've been i mean what, the bavet, the the cross rib steak, and the Terrace Major were the last three steaks I had. What's a, you said bavet? The bavet. That's oh, my favorite cut. And what is that? Go for it, Rick. So the bavet comes from the flank section of a beef. Um, the beef is split between the rib section, which is your ribeyes, your skirt steaks, and then the, the loin section is your New York strips, and then on the, what's called the drop loin, you get your flank steak, you get your bavette. Um, and a bavette is similar to a skirt steak, except it's thicker and longer. So you're able to get a nice hard char on the outside, but also cook it to where it's, you know, nice medium rare on the inside. Um, if you look at cuisine in South America... They really don't give a fuck about a ribeye or a tenderloin. They're all about that section of the animal. So in in South America, that would be referred to as the vacío, um, and that would be a combination of all those cuts from from the drop loin. And basically, what they'll do is cook it on what's called an iron cross over an open fire, and with nothing more than salt and water and fire 
present one of the most beautiful cuts on the animal in a very simple way. And then it's the accoutrement that goes along with it that turns it into a, a, a completed dish. So your chimichurris and, and things like that go along with it, your pickles. Um, and there's this whole thing about uh, barbecue in America to where we take the same, you know, let's call it three, four cuts to where it's uh, ribs, pork butt, brisket, and chicken leg and thigh combos. And that's what is considered American barbecue. But if you if you get outside your bubble a little bit and you realize that people have been cooking meat over fire for thousands of years, you start realizing that there there is more to an animal and there is more to barbecue than just, you know, throwing a brisket on a smoker for 18 hours and serving it with coleslaw and baked beans. So that's part of the reason that we have that cookbook library. There was a guy that came in two weeks ago. And I loaned him Francis Malman's book, and it's it's all about you know paying attention to the fire and using the cuts in a way that depending on what source of heat you're using works best for that cut or how long you're cooking that cut. And he was the guy that came in that you know <clears throat> I want to do pork belly burn ends, I want to do brisket, I want to do you know all these things that I see on Food Network. And when he returned the book, he thanked me and said, you know, not only did I read that book cover to cover, but I watched the Francis Mallman chef's table four times just to where I could get a better understanding of how to tend to the fire and get a better understanding of how to use these cuts. And for me, that's one of those small victories where if I can get one person to understand that in America, we don't do everything the best. People have been doing this for thousands of years and we're a relatively new country. And if you just get outside your bubble and try something else, you might be pleasantly surprised. And now this guy has zero interest in buying brisket, pork yeah. butt, spare ribs, whatever. He wants the vacio. He wants a chuck roast. You know, all these things that you don't see on Food Network. So you said uh, chef's table. Is Francis, Francis Mullman, is that the one with fire door? Yeah, so Francis Mallman is a legendary uh, Patagonian chef, and his background was in classic French technique, and he realized at a certain point in his life that it wasn't about uh, using the most expensive ingredients and plating them in a way that is acceptable to the richest clientele. That's not what tickled his fancy. He wanted to get back to his roots and get back to the primal aspect of eating food. And a lot of his cuisine is based on, you know, what time of year it is, what's available at that time of the year, and then what what heat sources you have available. So he cooks everything over fire. Yeah. And, I mean, it could be everything from grilled lettuce to an entire beef that's roasted over fire with salt water. Yeah. That's, um, I think, I, I think I talked to you about that episode. I think I mentioned it, but yeah, that, uh, that dude blew me away with, with his, with his restaurant and his story and whatnot. You know, everything in the restaurant is cooked over fire. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, even the lettuce, the, the salads, the desserts, everything. And, you know, was, you know, turned, 
turned a restaurant, I, I think, was it Spain or something, you know, into a three or four star Michelin restaurant and left because, you know, like you said, he didn't want that. He wanted the, the primal, the primal cooking experience, you know. That's the Australian guy. Yeah. What was his name? Oh, yeah, that's, uh, oh, what the hell is this? Ben Shuri? Oh, so it's not the same guy. He did his thing in Australia, but it's very much uh, influenced by Francis Smallman, in my opinion. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the thing. Uh, if, if, If you're tuning into Food Network and you're getting all your information from Food Network and, you know, you're putting donkey sauce on everything, uh... You're, you're not really going <laughs> to learn much about the history of food and why people cook things the way that they do. But there are a lot of really great chefs out there. And it's if we're looking at technology as, mm-hmm. as beneficial, uh, you know, we spent this whole podcast shitting on Whole Foods. But at the same time, Jeff Bezos created Amazon. And I'm able to, from my smartphone, buy a Francis Malman book and figure out how to roast a pumpkin over an open fire and make pumpkin soup out of it in the fall. So <clears throat> I'm not trying to completely shit on technology and Jeff Bezos. I think we should use what's available to us and use it in the most efficient way. And my way of doing that is trying to spoon feed people cookbooks and techniques and cuts that they're not shown on Food Network and presented to them in a way that is is not expensive, nor is it labor intensive, and you can feed your whole family on this for a week. Yeah. So the bavette it's fucking delicious, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a th- it's a thicker skirt steak. Like yeah. You said, get a char, it's nice and medium in the middle, medium rare. So yeah, that that beautiful. That reminds me, like you mentioned, the the char on the outside with a nice medium rare on the inside. Like how, how uh, collectively, like how does uh, everyone feel about like sous vide? Love it. I love it. Yeah. Hate okay. Because that's some that, that was a recent purchase. Uh, it's a good purchase. Yeah, uh, and I've definitely fell fell in love with it. Uh, so, I'll. Yeah, uh, my my wife just bought a torch for one of her crafting projects, and was like, "Oh, well, I could use that instead of, you know, anything else, like, uh, you know, to to put the sear on the yeah. outside of something." Sous vide is the ultimate cheat code. Yeah, but it's not that new to where it's like, you know, space science or anything else like that. You're just cooking under things under vacuum. No, that's I, I didn't mean like new in general but it seems to be like a new no craze. i mean it, yeah absolutely yeah. Well, can, it absolutely is but it's perfection can I, we can we talk music for a second because sure. we haven't talked music at all so if you look at uh the best selling band of all time that's the beatles right and what made the beatles special is that when they first started putting out albums the technology that was available at the time went from four track to eight track to 16 to 32 track so if you listen to a song like Octopus's Garden, that is literally them taking straws <clears throat> and blowing into a glass of water to create a bubble effect. That technology was not available 10 years ago, but that's what allowed them to create that effect on that song. So 
we should use the technology that's available to us at the time to make things that haven't been made before and be it sous vide or vacuum sealing machines or whatever it may be there's you you are not any less of a man for sous viding a brisket for 12 hours than you are by smoking a brisket for 18 hours over an open flame if you can kiss that brisket with two hours of smoke or three hours of smoke or whatever and it's still melting your mouth tender there's no shame in that game yeah we should use the technology that's available to us just like the Beatles did in the mid-60s to create something that was better than we had access to 10 years ago. Well, thanks. I, I feel a little validated now because I, I wasn't sure how that, uh, amongst amongst chefs and whatnot, like how that would be received. But I figured, uh, you know, like the, the precision temperatures would, you know, definitely be something a restaurant would... Science is utilized. It exists. So that is a fantastic machine. Yeah, I love it. So didn't Dan Halen engineer a chicken that had fifty perfectly cooked wings, and uh, its blood was made out of, or it secreted blue cheese, and it defecated its own to-go box? Did you say Van Halen? <laughs> Dan, I love Dan Van Halen. Halen. <laughs> Did the chicken make you jump, Dan? Yeah. <laughs> it would if it but in defecated its own to-go box. <laughs> I mean, I think you should talk about how we're utilizing things that don't move over the butcher counter, the rounds, the shanks. The yeah, fat, I the mean, bones. I think it's I think it's it's neat for me to be able to work with such a direct butcher to where instead of ordering from any of the you know large purveyors that you can have anything all the time you want, that I'll be able to call the worst and you know dictate my menu on you know hey what do you have right now what can i utilize to really help on both fronts you know and uh, how many do you have you know an excess of rounds or like ricky said shanks or 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 anything you know and it allows me to be creative in a shelf a chef's realm to where i can make something delicious out of something that people don't normally use so he can tell you in the shop hey use this cut treat it this way as a learning experience, but we extend that to where the brewery to where now they have it literally in front of their face of, Oh, I get it now. And it really completes the story of yes, things can be delicious, even though they're not a ribeye or a filet. Um, and that's, that's how you really utilize all parts of every animal. And really how you make the best bang for your buck though, too, is like when it comes to pricing and everything else like that is just, yeah, you can make, the best out of everything if you use a little technique you know and you think about a little uh, a bit and how do you make that the best product from the best product that's absolutely local and your dollars staying within the community as well which is important fuzzy line brew yep coming at you may may 6th slash 7th may 6th unless Uh, there's a, a catastrophic failure we got all our inspections. So oh, I guess uh, anybody local, uh, if you're familiar with what used to be Franco's, that's where Fuzzy Line is, uh, taking over the old Franco's joint. Oh, that, that that was a point that I wanted to make earlier, so this is going to sound really fucking off topic. Uh, but opening the kitchen like this uh, with your not-so-normal not features, like I think the, the craft beer community would be a good fit 
because it seems like people would be more inclined to try something they've they've never tried before. Yeah, generally the the uh, generally the guests that come into a craft brewery like that are a little bit more open minded. They know what they're kind of getting into. So I mean, the whole story really makes plays off itself. It's just like you know the fuzzy line fuzzy line beers you know are a little bit different, just like the food, and it all tells a story. So I mean. I, I hit it on it before. It's just like I really want it to be a conversation. The reason why I got into food and became a chef is to bring people to the table and to really focus on conversation and thought and just really bringing community together because I believe in in my eyes that's what community is, is over yeah. a pint, over some really good food. Let's talk about it. Why is it? What do you like? Let's share things, though, too. Is it's a, a big thing of the menu is we want you to order, you know, multiple things. Try everything. Everybody try a little bit of everything. And as a chef, usually in, in the industry, that's how we eat is we go, we order 10 appetizers or 10 small plates and everybody tastes the sample of what that restaurant has to offer. And using vessels that are familiar to everybody in the region, I don't think it's an ask to serve you know a vietnamese style flavor of anything to be too weird you know i think it i think it uh i think it's acceptable for everybody and really it's it's comfortable for everybody and hopefully gives them a different experience wanting them to have more but to really separate us apart and i'm so surprised that we're two hours into this and ricky hasn't said that if everybody's going one way it's easy to go the other way yeah so i mean we're good let's let's go the other way you know, I mean, if if there's a hundred poutines out there, then let's not let's, even just a hundred poutines, but like you, you don't have to open up with your your menu being burgers named after metal bands and you know all this other stuff where like everything is so shots like fired, dark and heavy, and like if you don't get it, fuck you. Uh, I think there is all the space in the world to be welcoming and clean and light and hospitable and. Well, explain it's, to people like it's it's okay if you don't know everything like it's a that's our form job of hospitality though now too especially post covid not that it was going to be anything different but post ish covid um hospitality is going to be different yeah you know think little subtle things will change what you used to think dining out was two years ago yeah so if we can present it in the way that is now a modern time that is presentable and and is a way that's acceptable and you it, people enjoy, then why not? You yeah. know, it's a perfect opportunity. It's okay you don't know everything, and not everything has to be. It's okay to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, that's I. I mean, my point Growth of view lies right outside your comfort zone. Yeah. My my point of view, like, I mean, it sounds like nothing on the menu is going to be in my comfort zone but at the same time i'm looking forward to trying everything that i can because it's going to be my you know it it could be my favorite thing ever when you if just ordering pizza so let's get let's take a step back ask my dog he ate all the fucking pizza yesterday after we were done doing the floors so (laughs) what's his name obs sausage pie so like a sausage pizza yeah like what I mean in your in your eye, if you ordered a sausage pizza, what's coming on that pizza? Traditionally, uh, I prefer chunk 
over sliced or crumbled uh, and uh, just cheese sauce crust cheese sauce crust yeah so perfect example of the fuzzy line in between the pizza you explained and the pizza that we're going to present is that we'll have a sausage pie on there all the time but how many cultures have sausage every culture has a sausage how do we highlight and tell a story through a vehicle like pizza that you're very familiar with or anybody's very familiar with and tell a story from that culture so our initial sausage pizza would be a beef chorizo from spain a pickled red onion brava sauce which is which is a, a tomato based sauce with a little bit of uh, of kick to it with a little bit of red bell pepper but you're highlighting spain as a country or in or regional we could do it as well too but it's still a sausage pizza just presented in a way that makes you think that we put thought behind it to where it isn't italian sausage mozzarella red sauce basic ass crust yeah i mean our crust everything that comes on a pizza will from be from a sourdough starter that i've had for six months so, I mean, completely fermented sourdough crust with flavors from all over the world that tell a story about that sausage. Yeah. So, a month goes by from now, and we have a Thai sausage on there. Then let's tell a story about the flavor profiles from that region of Thailand, but in a form that is acceptable and you're familiar with, but with a worldly different flavor. We also don't want anyone to think that we've forgotten about vegetarians and vegans. Oftentimes in the region, the options that are available for vegetarians and vegans are a wedge salad or standard raw vegetables. And one of the things that countries do, aside from this country, well, is vegetarian options. And again, it goes back to what's available to these cultures. There is a lot of great vegetarian and vegan food out there that is filling and refreshing and interesting that we also want to highlight. Any examples? I mean, our sandwich, our vegetarian sandwich is going to be inspired from uh, an Indian region to where it'll be uh, crispy fried potatoes tossed in a uh, tomato curry with peas chickpeas um and then a lemon aioli inside a roti that we made in a house that day which is again uh, a type of flatbread that stretches from all sorts of different um countries and cuisines and cultures from but a roti is just a thinner pita almost so it's light it's got vibrant flavors it tells a story it's from a, a specific region in india but like it, it, it isn't, it isn't a Big Mac with Mountain Dew poured all over the yeah. top of it. Like, yeah, like we get it. It has grace to it, to where it's, it eats light. It's super. I mean, it's 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 filling. It makes you it, it makes you feel whole. You know, it really tells a story rather than I'm just shoveling food in the lowest hole of my head, <laughs> and now I'm stuffed and I have it to go. Yeah, like. How can we not pick the lowest hanging fruit? That's really what it is. Yeah, and and challenge you to get outside your comfort zone. And that's I, that. That's one of the things that intrigues me. Like I was saying, like I, none of this would normally be in my wheelhouse, but I'm looking forward to it. It's know? my best feeling as a chef when I find something in the culinary world 
that makes me feel completely stupid. I'd have no words for that, but I should have known that, or I didn't even know that existed. To feel that, you know, on a pedestal of, like, dumb, is just like, <laughs> wow. You know, because you're talking about really deep waters, you're talking about global food culture. Yeah. And if you spent your whole life and lived to be 100, you wouldn't even scratch the surface. That's very true. Um, as far as uh, the brewery goes, again, before I lose my train of thought on I random thought, uh, why Fuzzy Line? Where did the name Fuzzy Line come from? I, I have an idea through this conversation, but I'm, I'm curious to know if I'm heading the right direction or not. Well, I mean, there's a difference between where Fuzzy Line came from and where Fuzzy Line has now evolved and in, in what it means now. Um, initially, uh, Fuzzy Line was the name that my partner Jeremy and I had uh, gone under as home brewers uh, for a few years because we were submitting beers uh, across the country to different competitions and there were strict style guidelines for every beer. So we were always getting dinged on certain aspects, attributes of the beer that fell outside of these strict style guidelines. So, you know, an IPA needs to be this color, you know, this amount of IBUs, um, this ABV, blah, blah, blah. And if it ever strayed outside of that, doesn't matter how good the beer is, it's not to style, you know, you get dinged on points. And uh, my partner Jeremy came up with it. He, we, came from a, we came from Shoreline Brewery, and we were bullshitting. And he's like, oh, Shoreline? He's like, we should be Fuzzy Line because of the beer. Yeah. So always just kind of kept with it. And when it came time to name the brewery, we... Uh, branding company that I hired, Sawdust, which has done amazing work with the place. Um, They're like, yeah, let's let's try a few different names and see what sticks. And at the end of the day, after we talked about every different name and, and came up with different strategies, Fuzzy Line was still on, on the top of the list. So we kept going it, with that. It also it it also defines what we're trying to accomplish as well. To where uh, there's there's a fuzzy line between you know what's acceptable or what's familiar and what's not and we're we're going to constantly trying try to challenge challenge people to get outside their comfort zone and just try something different see that's that's where my thought process was so that's i guess i was uh somewhat somewhat heading in the right direction there but yeah that's as the conversation went on, it's like fuzzy line. Yeah, there's there's a fuzzy line here. Yeah. We're also both big uh, fans of Tool, and his name is Vaginal, and mine is Phallic. So we got that going as well. All right. <laughs> that 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 actually made me think of. Uh, I, I should probably have my son lean in the direction of getting a Tool record. That we stopped in the other Absolutely. day. We had the we had the records and. That's one of my favorite things is that we have S and J stereo two doors down, yeah, and people come in and oftentimes they have a record in their hand, and I get to talk to them about you know what'd you buy and like for example, you and your son came in with a three eleven record and a Blackfoot record, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's I I I think it's great that like he's he's getting into it. I don't. I don't know if he's getting into it because uh, he likes it, or if it's because it's something else that he gets to he gets to go to a different store and buy something else 
because I'm into it as well. So I'm kind of more of a sucker to spend a little bit more money there, and he gets to walk home with something. But that's but, uh, awesome. Time with Dad. He's it, it. It's funny because like I, he actually listens to me when I tell him. All right, no, bud. You gotta. You can't grab the record with your hand. You gotta hold it by the sides. And, you know, you gotta. You gotta be careful. You gotta. You gotta take care of this stuff. You, when you take it out, you gotta put it back in the sleeve. You gotta. You know, do this, do that. And like he actually listens to it, so it makes me happy because it's. It's, it's not that often he, he really listens you to me. What start with? Um, uh, he actually hasn't put the uh, three eleven vinyl down yet. He, he wanted to listen to the Blackfoot because of the Cobra on the cover, and. Um, Record player is actually sitting right there, but I I need to go get a new one because it's it's not, it's not playing right now. Like it's 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 skipping for no apparent reason. I need I need new element. I think the turntable is a little wobbly. So now How do I'm gonna, you like Blackfoot. Uh, from what I heard, uh, not bad. Like I, I I'm definitely willing to to give it a thorough listen once I have once it's not skipping. I'm gonna have to drop a few hundred dollars and get some quality equipment instead of where can you do that locally uh i don't remember the name of the shop but snj recommended me to a place on 41 uh i gotta stop in and ask him what the name is again he doesn't sell players i i know snj told me to go to this place uh jim's a wise man he yeah. knows where to send you yeah well that's a it, it's funny how much an attitude changes when it comes to customer service when you mention I'd like to support local instead of because at first he told me he's like oh yeah Best Buy's got players I said yeah but I'd rather give a, a shop like you my money instead of Best Buy he's like oh in that case this guy's got a lot of good stuff it's like awesome you Jim's know, been doing this since the seventies oh yeah and, and for anyone that's listening that is not familiar with S and J Stereo you are not going to find somebody that is more dedicated to the craft than Jim at S&J. Yeah. Like, that guy knows everything about music and vinyl or whatever you're looking for. And he is two doors down from my shop on Broad Street. That's I, I, love, I love the little strip that we have in Griffith. Um, but that's when I was a kid, my dad would take us to Hegwish Records. And so, I mean, I guess that, that's probably where... I get a little bit more of a kick out of taking my kid to S and J, but I remember going to S and J when they were in Munster and Hammond. They, what they was started it? Hammond? out in Hammond, and then they moved to Highland and then Griffith. Uh, Jim actually used to date my aunt and got me tickets to my first concert. So uh, Ozfest '99 was the first show that I ever saw, courtesy of Jim, and it was. Uh, Black Sabbath, the original lineup, Deftones, Primus. 99 was a cream yeah. of the crop. Yeah. yeah. And anybody. It was a good second, year. Yeah. Second stage was low. I, I missed it, but I, I have seen I have seen Deftones at uh, the Double Door. One of the uh, best live bands you'll ever yeah. see, Deftones. I've never seen Tool, which pisses me off. Um, Ozzy and or Black Sabbath I haven't seen. Primus is one that I missed. That maybe I'll get I'll get a chance to go uh, someday. There's there's still at least there's still hope there. Primus still around, yeah. Yeah. And Les, Les Claypool is also making some really great wine up in the Bay Area yeah. as well. Yeah. Claypool Cellars. So is uh, Maynard. Yeah. Maynard uh, that's Kinder. in Arizona. He, yeah. He's he's Caduce. got he's got his Arizona location where he's got the 
the the vineyard the and again he's all about local sourcing and um all of that so like i I would definitely love to head down there and check that out hopefully i get to see primus like i i was so pissed one year my my brother and a bunch of his friends went to a primus show my cousin who was i don't know six seven years younger than me they're all at the primus show and one of my brother's friends is kind of a douchebag when it comes to crowd surfing and you know kid comes over crowd surfing he fucking yanks him down and it happens to be my cousin and my brother's like, what the fuck are you doing here i had no idea you listen it's like oh yeah fuck primus sucks fuck, throw me back <laughs> throw me back up you know but um yeah hope, hopefully i get to see them yeah i don't know what's going on with primus i know deftones are touring this year with gojira uh i know tool had some plans to do some touring but pandemic kind of screwed that up well they were touring and uh the pandemic did screw that up i was happy that i got to see the Ten Thousand days tour before that all got fucked up it's amazing yeah you have to see tool before you die if you don't um you go to hell (laughs) that's uh oh um i did get to go not what was it not last year the year before Nine Inch Nails, when they were at the House of Blues. That's one band I've never seen that I really want to see. Same cousin. Well, actually, his brother, uh, you know, still cousins, but um, sent me a text one one night. It's like, hey, do you want to go see Nine Inch Nails? It's like, okay. He lives in California. It's like, well, yeah. It's like, well, my dad has an extra ticket. Uh, he's got two tickets, and, you know, he can't find anybody to go with him. He wants to know if you want him. It's like... Well, fuck yeah. He's like, all right, you know, he'll, he'll give you the two tickets for free. I was like, what do you mean two? He's like, well, you know, he doesn't think you want it. It's like, no, I'll go with your dad. I don't give a shit. Like, yeah. And keep in mind, like, his dad is dad. only a couple of years older than me. You know, it's like, fuck yeah, let's let's go. It's like, no, tell tell Troy that, yeah, I'm, I'm going with him. Like, I'm not going to give his his ticket away. He's taking me for free. Then fucking A. And I'll tell you what, man, that, that was... That was a hell of a lot more amazing than I thought it would be because, like, I always loved Nine Inch Nails growing up. At this point, it's been probably, like, a decade since I've paid any, like, real attention to them. And, like, once they came on stage, it was just like, holy shit. Like, yeah. it was, like, it, it brought feelings that I have no explanation or reason why, but it was just like, this is one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen. This is one of those things that we refer to frequently is that musicians like Trent Reznor, like Maynard James Keenan, like David Bowie, like Frank Zappa, they stuck to their guns. They did what they wanted to do. They did not give a fuck about trends. Yeah. They just did their thing. And... They dropped it when it was ready. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. To where we're not trying to follow any trends. We're not. We're just trying to stick to our guns and what we believe in. In the same way that Trent Reznor, uh, Daft Punk, Tool, David Bowie, all those guys did. Do do what you believe is right. Reinvent yourself on every album keep doing your thing 
that's what we're shooting for. Yeah, that's you know a whole lot of respect there. So I think that's that's probably the perfect spot to to cut it. So um, I don't know if there's any social media or anything that you guys want to plug. Get out there. Uh, the worst fuzzy line. www.fuzzylinebrewing.com. Uh, go to it and uh, uh, like like and subscribe and all the social media. Yeah, um, all, all the regular plugs. It, the worst W U R S T, right? Um, right, worst. That's I'm gonna uh, definitely post this in the the region beer coalition because uh, you know I'm there. So, uh, I I seen you posted there not too long ago about the you know opening soon. So yeah, I just got all the social media um, login stuff. I don't know how to social media. I am fucking horrible so. at. There were like messages and stuff. I'm like, I don't, I don't even as, know. As, as far as like self promotion and shit like that goes, I'm fucking horrible. So, yeah. um, we're all in the same boat. Yeah. So, so just the Google's works. Uh, w U R S T and Fuzzy Line. Uh, Google them. You'll find them wherever uh, wherever they're at. Uh, How Farms. Uh, do you do anything outside of commercial or no? Uh, we're basically all wholesale now. Yeah. So don't. Don't look up uh, how farms. You know, you, you could find them at, at the worst and fuzzy line. That's all that matters. So, <laughs> uh, man, exercise man, what do you got going on? Uh, I'm a, we just started the Instagram page at uh, kitchen Fu- at kitchen fuzzy um, on Instagram, where we're gonna start telling the story of how we're opening the kitchen. Awesome. And making things weird, making things fuzzy. Good. Ween yeah. forever. Random. <laughs> All right, guys. I, I appreciate you guys coming out and hanging out. Thank, Thank you for having us. No, this was it. delightful. Yeah, Till next time. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, there you have it. So, support local. I think that's the message we were trying to get across here. Um, if you are in the region, check out the Worst Butcher Shop, W-U-R-S-T. Check out Fuzzy Line Brewing. Uh, they are opening up in Highland on March 6th. Uh, pay attention to where your meat's coming from and uh, get to know your local farmers and whatnot. Uh, Steve from Howe Farms, he's supplying the worst and fuzzy line because he's doing animals, he's doing plants, he's doing whatever he can to keep the community going. So keep your community going. If you're not local here, support your own. Uh, yeah, do it up. So that's, that, that's really about it.